and we're recording. All, All right, right, let's uh, let's fucking do this. First ever episode of the Breckening Podcast with me, your host Brian Breckenridge. Cheers. And my first ever guest. Uh, cheers to Dustin, Kurt Schneider. That would be me. Why do you go by? Uh, well, Kurt's your first name, right? Yep. Why, it, did you just like Dustin's better? No, uh, my biological dad is also Kurt Schneider. Oh, okay. So instead of being a Kurt Schneider Jr. or a Kurt Jr. Oh, okay. Like you do. Uh, they just decided to call me by my middle name. So I've gone by my middle name my whole life. Oh, okay. Yep. All right. So what the whole point of this podcast is I've, uh, I'm have i a stand-up comic for anyone listening that does not know me. It, uh, Ten people are going to listen to this. But you got to start somewhere. <laughs> you got to start somewhere. The whole point of this podcast is I've... Okay, I'm a stand-up comedian, Dallas-Fort Worth, born and raised. I don't find myself that interesting, but I like to do interesting things, and I've been doing stand-up comedy for like a dozen plus years. Which is interesting on its own. Yeah, it it is when I think of something interesting that happens. Like, just But uh, I've gotten to know a lot of interesting fucking people, and I think it's it's... If you want to find out about somebody... You have you can have random conversations. You're at a bar. You're at a show. You, you blah 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 for X amount of time, ten thirty minutes. A great bar conversation, like an hour, but that could be filled with interruptions. In my experience, it's people interrupting the person I'm talking about because <laughs> they're usually uh, they 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 know people. And they're like oh so and so, and I'm like ah shit that interrupted a great train of thought, a great conversation. We're mm-hmm. making good points. We're like connecting, like finding out, you know, hey, we got a lot of shit in common. And but ten imagine, minutes go by, the magic's gone. Yeah, and then that person's distracting, and then they that person probably like they're probably getting texts, and you know, oh, well, just even cell phones interrupt this kind of stuff. But they're not really distracting in this kind of context of like a good bar conversation. But yeah. imagine you wanting to learn about somebody, but. The podcast equipment we just unboxed here to record this wasn't there. That would be a really weird request because you organically learn about people. It's like a dinner party, but without the dinner. Nobody fucking has those anymore. Nobody has those anymore. Pre-2020, <laughs> nobody had that. You, you have like a party, but it's just an excuse to like come get drunk You know, even at a private residence. Like, let's drink, smoke some weed, do whatever, just... That's a it's, Richie New England thing, too, yeah, I think. Which I don't know anything about. But I've, there's all these people that I want to, like, this podcast is for me mm-hmm. and anybody else who wants to live. But first and foremost, it's for me. That's what it needs to be about. Yeah. It's always and, should be just for you. And I'm like, one, uh, you know, you're like, always, you've always been like top of the list just because, like, okay, here's kind of how I want to start these off. It's like, obviously, you're my guest, introduce you. And I say, Here's how I know you. So I think a mutual friend of ours that used to be on this show, I think was kind of like, you need to do the Jerry Jonestown podcast. And I was like, okay. And I'd never run into you or Matt before. Most likely, well, you never had a conversation. Most likely we're at the same place, same time, watching the same bands. We were definitely at the same yeah, shows. Just never got properly introduced because mm-hmm. there aren't that many adults that do such things. I love introducing people. It's one of my favorite things. I love... And I'm like, that person needs to know that person. And they're at the same time. I go, y'all meet. Y'all are just people that need to meet. And I gain nothing from it. I just think I just need to be a conduit for the universe to get two people to meet that they haven't digitally or organically yet. 
but so she was like, go, you got to go on the podcast. And eventually I came on and I was like, Hey, I'm a local comic. And, and then like I came in here and we are right now, this is a mobile podcast, but right now, ironically, we are on my brand new mobile podcasting equipment. We're inside a podcast studio slash shed <laughs> that you have. I don't want to get, I want to get into it. Okay. You have built from the, you know, maybe not the shed, but you've built from the ground up. So that's how I came. You know, I was like, oh, these guys, you know, do this podcast. And it's you, Dustin Snyder, and Matt Stubbs, you're, you're, you're both co-hosts. I guess you're, I would say, you know, you're both co-hosts, but obviously we're on your property. We're in your studio and you have the know-how to set all this shit up. Maybe Matt knows more. I don't know. He's just the guy that. He just plays dumb. He, he walks over my lines when I come be on the show. <laughs> I love Matt, but it's like, let me, oh, let it land, Matt. Let it land. But. So, and I, one thing, uh, and I think I came here and I, I was promoting a comedy show or just the general laugh your mass off shows that I've booked at Man I think Southside. you were promoting a big show. Yeah. And then, uh, and then eventually like y'all came out to one and I think I came on the podcast again and was just like, y'all still never came to a show or something, which, you know, I love saying to people. Funniest thing, I pulled up to one of your shows and got, as I pulled in the parking lot, I was just about to get out of the car and I think it was the show you came to promote with a bunch of people hmm. we're going to be there to perform and i pulled up and i got called into work oh god and i was like damn it i was sitting in the mass <laughs> parking lot about to get out of my car <laughs> and my boss calls me and goes hey i need you to come into work and i was like really i haven't gotten one drink yeah oh, if okay. i got one drink i'd have been out of it <laughs> i could have gotten out of work damn. Yeah, <laughs> you keep like a breathalyzer in the truck just be like hey i blew uh, sorry yeah, sorry what you should have done is gone in there real quick and be like who's sauced Come here real quick. Here's five Talk bucks. Talk to my boss. <laughs> or blow on this, but yeah. that'd be a weird request. But I I distinctly remember, uh, it was like the show you and uh, Susie Ramone, who's occasionally on, on the Jerry Jonestown show, mm -hmm. and, and Matt, y'all came to one. I think I was outside, and on the back of your SUV, there's a Dillinger Escape Plan sticker. And I think, I think you were coming out, or you were going to there or something, and that's where I was just like, oh shit, this guy likes Dillinger Escape Plan. I don't come across many people just like like doing stand up comedy. You know, I know all these plenty. I know plenty of people with tattoos, but they don't listen to music hard enough to back that shit up. And yep. like, but I was just like, oh, this guy likes Dillinger Escape Plan. Okay, this is huh? Like you? There's a couple of people I know that nerd out on that band. One of my bosses, you know, huge fan of theirs. Uh, but I was just like, all right, there's something to this guy, and then. From that, realize, you know, oh, you're in a band. You, you know, and then, you know, obviously I knew the podcast studio. So I guess where I want to start is, okay, uh, where, where did it all begin with you? Where were you born and raised? Right here, we Arlington. We skip through plenty of other things, but. Arlington, Texas. Oh, okay. And Arlington Memorial. Uh, okay. In the. My granddad died there. All right. Bright year of 1977. <laughs> well, me Wait. and your granddad. Okay, so, so about as old as my sister. Okay. And so, and I, I know you, uh, what sucks is I'll know, I'll know some background information about people. I know you mentioned you had a cousin that kind of got you into like harder-ish music, I guess. Or was it a cousin or? No, it's actually kind of a crazy story. Like, um, and this all came to a head just a couple of weeks ago. When I was in high school, I was very into the, whatever was trendy at the time. Not high school, I'm sorry. When I was in elementary, junior high, okay, 
I was into whatever was trendy at the time. Um, you know, if it's pop music, if it's MC Hammer, if it's Paul Abdul, if it was Madonna, you know, all that crap that was floating around. Yeah. And I slowly started going into, like, when uh, when I was in the sixth grade, Def Leppard released um, Hysteria, okay. which had Pour yeah. Some Sugar on Me. And that summer, Pour Some Sugar on Me was huge, you know, yeah. and that, that started the delve into rock music. Okay. Or into more rock style music. My mom... Growing up, my mom always played the Who around okay. the house. Uh, my dad, she was a huge Who fan, uh, followed them around on tour when wow. she graduated. Um, my biological dad was a huge Rolling Stones fan, and they both were Beatles fans. So I grew up around all that early rock music. Two biological parents, I'm already, I'm already jealous that well, they were had divorced. interesting. Well, they yeah. they've already they already got kind of like interesting shit. I wish yeah. I could at least say my mom. I I don't know if my mom even had a, like a Beatles album. Oh, really? Which is, you know, some of that shit is the safest you can get. Yeah, she may or may not have. Uh, I think my mom had like a handful of CDs and maybe my dad, but like my mom, it took a friend the... to eventually get me into the lift the veil of like here's some good stuff because I heard the radio yeah. stuff. On the weekends, my mom would, when she'd clean the house, or uh, my dad, my dad would be working out in the garage on stuff and working stuff, working outside, you know, mm. the yard. Mm. Um, well, my stepdad, we'll put, that, put it that way. Uh, my stepdad would be outside working on the yard or whatever, and he'd be blasting old country, John Denver. Oh, okay. Um, you know, uh, stuff along that realm. But she would be in the house where I would normally be after watching Saturday morning cartoons. She'd fire up the uh, record player, and she had some Fleetwood Mac records and some uh, uh, a few Rolling Stones, but Beatles records and stuff. So it was always she was always yeah. alternating out, you know, vinyl in there. And that shits the classics for a reason, which I may I may have heard on the radio. My mom listened yeah. to KVIL and uh, K Love, two of the safest, uh, you know, adult parent stations you could listen to and then my dad listened to the country stations at the time which was weird because he was and then at some point switched to classic rock i don't know why he listened so this is like the mid 90s early mid 90s and he just had you know the country station on my dad's not a country guy at all but he just had that yeah, on and then switched to 92.5 well my dad my but there's no records or cds in the house really <laughs> my stepdad was basically my dad, he raised me from when I was four on. And, you know, I saw my biological dad two or three times a year. Didn't have a good relationship with my biological dad until about uh, 15 years ago, mm. probably. Um, you know, I was well in my late 20s, early 30s when I finally got a good relationship with my biological dad. But, like, my dad was the same way. He, my stepdad, was the same way. In high school, he rode. He was in the bull riding club and all oh, okay. that. You know, yeah, he, that's country as fuck. Yeah. yeah. So he listened that's to country come with music. The, that's going to come with the soundtrack. Yeah. yeah. So he listened to country music by default, mm. but he was more into the Beatles and um, the Eagles. Well, that's what's great is like that like from his era, his era, and doing something as hardcore as bull riding. You're gonna get some rock and roll in there. Yeah. And just and that's and back then, you know. That country back then was on that same level as, you know, big, you know, there's a big rock big band. Rock. Yeah. And so. So I guess my 
rebellion from them was listening to, you know, the the pop music or whatever was a top 40 at the time. Mm. And, you know, you had, like today I heard the name Young MC and I was laughing about that because, you know, bust a move. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, Belle Biv DeVoe with Poison mm. and, you know, that era of music. But I had friends. My, my family was super religious um and it growing up we were the whole i was in a super religious family and that kind of sheltered me from rock and metal a little bit but still beatles fleetwood still beatles that's what's so weird is my family was not religious like grandparents were we would go easter yeah christmas eve thing but it's like they had the music of a very repressed religious, well, the absence of music of a repressed religious family, which they weren't. They just, I love my parents. They ever hear this? I love you both. <laughs> so boring. So, anyways, so I guess the I love the dynamic though. <laughs> the once the the pour some sugar on me came out, you know, the Def Leppard. I started listening. Like Hysteria was great. Like mm. every song on that record was a single. Yeah, pretty much. You know, and. From there, it started kind of trickling out. Like some friends were like, they were trying to get me straight into Metallica. Okay, yeah, and you need to ease a little. Like I was like, I need to, I need to ease into this a little bit. You know, I, I had listened to uh, Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets, and was like, yeah, this is a little too heavy. Hmm. But you know, a Poison's out there, and Guns and Roses is out there, hmm. and. Uh, this badass band called Slaughter's out there, and they got a badass name, Slaughter. And, oh, yeah. You know, Up was, All Night was a badass song. And I later was like, on in life, yeah, I was that's... disappointed by the Slaughter name when I was already listening to, like, I've already, I already, like, let's think about this earlier, like, hate, I think I had a Hate Breed album that was just like, oh, it gets really hard. Yeah. And then, like, I just generally checking out music, I'm like, Slaughter, and I was just like, oh, oh, what's up with that name? <laughs> Ooh, yeah. That doesn't. You know, at the time, you're like, with the music. I'm a kid. I'm in, I, was I still in elementary? I think so. Maybe like sixth or seventh grade. And I'm, I've got this slaughter tape. And I'm like, man, this this is heavy. You know, it's yeah. slaughter. And you expect to now see slaughter back, open up for suffocation. Yeah. And some really good death metal bands. <laughs> but no. what's funny is, I. My best friend growing up, we were we were constantly just buying records and trading stuff and going back and forth and like, I I seriously went from having a slaughter tape, to hunting down Nirvana's Nevermind, because you couldn't find that when it came out. Oh, it, it okay. wasn't. We had to go to Bill's. His, hmm. my best friend had a car, and his brother was constantly going to Bill's Records and Tape in Dallas, and so we would make treks out there too. And we bought, in one weekend, we bought Nirvana Nevermind, um, Pearl Jam 10, Soundgarden Bad Motorfinger, and Pretty Hate Machine. Nice if Pretty if Hate Bill Machine. cared about, rest in peace, Bill, you're a legend. If he cared about organizing, that would have been a sweet package deal. Yeah, here. <laughs> we're going to give you Seattle, and here's a little uh, industrial. The, the gr- intro to Grunge Package Sound. Yeah. Here you go. So we bought all that because we heard of these bands, and I had heard uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit like on a weird compilation tape that used to float around. There used to be this, wow. there used to be this um, tape package you get called like a Concrete Sound or Concrete. I think yeah, I think the I, Concrete Corner or something like yeah. that, and they were free tapes. 
Mm. And um, there was a CD store here in Hearst called CDX, and they always had a box of them. Every month you could go up there and get a concrete corner, mm. and it was just a sampler. And it had one song by all these bands, and uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit was on there. I was like, man, this is really good. Let's, yeah. go, let's go hunt it down. Couldn't find it anywhere. And then we had seen, uh, around the same time, we had seen a live performance of Pearl Jam. And we're like, these guys are badass too. Let's go try to find you yeah. know, this. Soundgarden had been around a little bit. And uh, when his, my best friend's older brother had Bad Motor Finger, so we had already listened to it. Oh, okay. And we're like, let's let's pick this up. And then uh, the Nine Inch Nails was all me because I'd seen the video for Head Like a Hole okay. one morning while getting. See, what I used to do was I would turn on MTV in the morning while I was eating breakfast. My mom was cool with it. My dad was already at work. Mm. My dad hated MTV. My stepdad hated mm. MTV. So I had it on. And, you know, just sitting there at the table eating breakfast, and all of a sudden, the head like a whole video came on, and I was just like, what is this? Holy crap. Yeah. Because it's just, you know, at that flashing time, strobe and, and that level of accessibility. Edits. Yeah, I could, and Nine Inch like, Nails could just bust right through. What the hell? Which, I mean, I'm wearing oh, yeah. a hoodie now. Um, and it was It was it crazy. Was you also, like the Dillinger Escape Plan, like you also helped, helped me bridge the whole, oh, those bands, obviously Dillinger is you know, very, you know, obviously influenced by Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. And I just, I never really made that connection because I've heard so little Nine Inch Nails over my life. I just never, never appreciate it. It's not like I listened to them and didn't like it. I just yeah. never gave them an honest chance because I was super, I was already into like really heavy, heavy, heavy shit. Heavy. And I was kind of like, I, I like, uh, I got, when I got into like ISIS and more post-metal stuff and I, I got into Justin Broderick's side project, uh, Yezu. I guess you call it that. I forgot about that. Yeah. Oh, and I love that Amazing. shit. I'm just. And Did that, you listen to Godflesh? I tried, and it was just kind of like a little bit more like. Mm, that's why I never got into like ministry. It's and heavy. Like industrial. That's bands. real industrial, but it's repetitive like crazy. Yeah, you know, and that's what I'm like. Same thing over. That's why over. I can't get into like ministry, and and I probably unfairly lumped them in and just didn't know because I never checked out like you know just the downward spiral and just never really checked out the entire album, and also. Because, again, I was born in 84, and I probably, when I got more cognizant, because my best friend, 6th, 7th grade, got into 311 and got me into him as well. So I wasn't really, I was like, just fun, vibing, happy, rock, rapping. And also, you know, Limp Biscuit was just coming, about, coming around the corner. So I was just, yeah, you I, was were going right down, I was going down the new metal train. I'm like, hey, that's fine. You know, I, <laughs> at, at one point you're ashamed of it, but then, like, you grow up. Meet some friends older than you that are, they're like, okay, if you can be proud of yourself, then so can I for liking this. So the Which really w- good stuff like Nine Inch Nails. That just, was the trendy thing at the time. But also Marilyn Manson came out. And, yeah. uh, and then so people like Nine Inch Nails, you maybe have heard Ministry or heard of, and then like, you know, your, more, well, your scary music. Okay, so back it up. Okay. If Head Like a Hole, that video changed my outlook on music, the album that did it was Ministries, A Mind is a Terrible Thing to Taste. My best friend's brother gave us that tape one day and goes, go, go listen to this and see what you think. When you put it in, the first thing is Thieves, and it's just, you know, it's this, at the time it was fast as hell. Mm. We're like, what is that noise? What's going on? What is making this? Yeah, It blew my mind. And we listened through the record, and it gets heavy and then, kind of chills out a little bit, then gets heavy again, and then chills out. And I was like, man, this record is crazy yeah. good. And that album, Ministries, Mine is a Terrible Thing to Taste, was where I just said, yeah, 
screw pop, screw all this other bullshit. Give me everything possible to, that sounds anywhere close I to this. I need yeah. this in yeah. my life. And so I went from that to, it's kind of funny, like the next weekend was uh, bought um, Sepultura Rise. Okay, yeah. That'll <laughs> and I was trying to think of what else came out around that time. Helmet in the meantime. Because extreme um, kind of heavy stuff in the 90s was really, you know, hard to, you know, it was not popular. It was really it, underground. Yeah, that Sepulcher Arise was was probably the heaviest thing I had. Okay. And then, you know, coincidence, uh, the tour that rolled through. Uh, well, after I'd heard, the Mind is a Terrible Thing of Taste had been out for a while. It wasn't like it was brand new. Oh. It had been out a few years. So I was big on this ministry kick, and then Psalm 69 came out. Oh, okay. And that was... Even though I haven't heard that album, I know that is... New World Order, the, Just One Fix. I have... Okay, I've heard both those songs, yes. Okay. <laughs> Maybe Scarecrow, you know, Psalm 69, they play it live. It, it, sometimes the Edge would play it late at night, but... Oh, um, God. When they late wanted at to night, be... Late at night, sneak in a, a repetitive ministry, ministry song. <laughs> so Psalm 69 became my, like... That was for, I, I kid you not, for two years, that was like my anthem album, mm-hmm. man. I listened to that thing nonstop, inside out, upside down. Um, and I had left my life kind of, we. I grew up in this neighborhood up until eighth grade. Mm. In eighth grade, I had to move um, over here. Eighth grade is in high school, right? It's six, seven. No, I'm sorry. Ninth grade. It was in ninth grade. Oh, okay. So ninth grade over here is in I high school. I forget that that some people are at in high Richland. school in eighth grade. I'm like, what? That's not a thing. Yeah. So right, six, seven, eight. Yeah, six, seventh, and eighth were in junior high. So ninth grade was over here in at Richland oh, no, no. High School. I know some places it was elementary till sixth, then seven, eight, nine, junior high, and ten, eleven, twelve's high school. I know that was like that for some well, people. That's what okay. I'm getting at. Okay, okay. My family moved to Hearst. And ninth grade was back down in junior high. Oh, God damn. seventh, eighth, ninth. So I had to like basically start over. I didn't have any friends over there or nothing. I had, uh, there was this one girl over there that I had grown up with that um, she was one of my best friends growing up. She was the only person I knew. But we stayed away from each other. Like she was with the very bowhead crowd and I was, you know, you're the new kid. You're the outcast. What's bowhead? I don't, I'm not familiar with it. Goody, goody. Oh, okay. Preppy. Preppy, PTA, you know. Did you ever have those girls? Preppy, but on good manners. That the moms of those girls all got together and, like, made their own clothing, like, with the... The stupid little uh, uh, yeah, patterns like, and stuff, and they exactly. all the girls my had mom the was same matching clothes. Very adjacent to those kind of moms, possibly even very more of those PTA moms. momish. She's definitely a PTA mom in elementary school. Yeah, so it was yeah. it was those their their moms would would dress them all up in the same oh, or or okay. make their clothes all okay. the same. My mom was too busy working to make clothes, but yeah. yeah. Oh no, I I know they used puff paint those, and all I know that shit. Kind of, I know exactly the type. So she hung out with that crowd, and I was kind of the outcast. And like, just a a week or two at being in that school and kind of finding my way around of who I wanted to be friends with and the the clique I wanted to fall into. I bought the Body Count album. Oh damn! With Cop Killer on it, and I always took my tapes to school and had a head, you know, had a Walkman. Okay. And I'd listen to them between classes or whatever. But one of the guys there that I'm still real good friends with 
he saw me with that body count work and he goes, yeah, you, me, we need to talk. See that. And that's like me seeing the stickers. I already, I, I think I already jumped, knew you, yeah. but I was just like, okay, you just skipped a bunch of, you see something like that. They skip a bunch of introductory well, levels. And suddenly like, you can I'm, already assume you're going to get along on some that stupid record. I'm just suddenly <laughs> the most popular kid in school oh, because man. I have the most controversial and explicit record ever made. And to this day, still like, up there. Yeah. Oh man, man! You got, I had so many people trying to steal that from me too. <laughs> it was funny. A lot of people, and I had a, I had one of my teachers. He was cool as hell, man. Um, he was a, a gymnastics coach, but he also taught English. Hmm. And I used to see him at concerts all the time. Oh wow! Like frying his brain out. Like wow. He would just be rolling. Like nuts at these concerts. That's awesome. And it was funny. He'd be drunk. Especially, He'd buy us espe- beer, especially during the summer. <laughs> yeah. No, he was. They might have some totally meats. cool. And what was <laughs> awesome was like, I knew him from junior high up into high school because he started teaching uh, oh, high school okay. gymnastics and everything. So he got moved up to the high school with us, and it was great. I mean, he was he was cool as hell, man. Saw him at all sorts of stuff, from The Cure to Skinny Puppy to wow, like he was just that all the Lollapaloozas, um, all the Edge Fest. Saw him everywhere, and he was man. he was a cool dude. But um, yeah, that's that really is where everything started molding to where I got into super heavy music and harder music. Okay. You know, my ninth grade year, it was. The biggest albums of that year were Blood Sugar Sex Magic mm-hmm. and um God. I think was did the black album come out right around then? Metallica Black Album. Yeah, you would have been like thirteen ish. Yeah, it was 14. right around then. So those were like some of the biggest records of of that time and when uh when did you start playing fun. music? Started playing. My biological dad showed up one weekend with an old uh, SG, it's a Gibson copy. It was made by Electra, which I think was a like a Sears or Montgomery Ward brand, but it was an SG body bass. And he's like, "I found this. I used to play it. I'm not going to use it anymore. You can have it." I was like, "Okay." Well, about the same time, my best friend bought a Fender bass, and we just started having bass offs. You know, hmm. learning together, and then. Another good friend of ours, he um, got a guitar, and so he started playing guitar, and he was like an instant shredder, like he knew how to shred and stuff. And so we all just kind of learned with each other and jammed, and um, then I started playing with some guys from high school. My best friend didn't go to my high school, um, and neither did uh, my, my other best friend, John. He didn't go to high school either. So I started playing with guys in my high school, and a lot of times it was just garage pickups. Like, hmm. there's instru- there's a party, and there's instruments out in the garage, or someone brought over their drum kit and a bass and a couple of guitars, and so you just pick up. It's a big decision moving. Like, I brought my drum kit. Like, you can have a guitar in the car, or you can you know bring yeah. it, set it to the side, be like, I may not touch it tonight or whatever. Someone's like, I brought a drum kit. And you're like, Oh goddamn, we gotta. It was kind of weird. Somebody, the high school oh, parties we, we had. We had a jam tonight, I guess. Like, we had the field parties and the keg parties out in the middle of the river bottoms, but we had a bunch of parties in neighborhoods. Like, someone's mom would be like, yeah, invite all your friends over and, and bring the band, and y'all can sit up in the garage, and you can be as loud as you want. Cops never show up. 
no one ever freaks out over it. It was weird. It's it's not like now if I start jamming out in my backyard, <laughs> cops will be here in yeah. three minutes, you know. But it was very, very strange. And we – then it was all – the sub pop noise bands and that's what everybody wanted to do. And, you know, I knew like half of Nirvana's Nevermind. I knew some of, I knew most of Rage Against the Machines first record and knew a bunch of breeder stuff and some gumball stuff and some, uh, enough to get by. And we'd yeah. just sit around and roll into these covers of okay. <laughs> songs and stuff and then make a bunch of racket and then, Roll into another song and then make a bunch of racket. Like a very amateur medley. Yes. <laughs> yeah. This is the good part. We all time. know, but we all know. All right, cool. You could sing along. That's fine. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it was just let's bring instruments to this party to cover up drugs and sex. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I got nowhere close to any of that kind of fun till, I don't know, 22. Yeah. And it, yeah. It was, it, I, know, I had a great childhood and everything. It was just never. I never, my friends were just, we were just school friends and tons of sleepovers and video games. And that's, that's what most of the time it was. Yeah. But every once but in no a while. But one, no one around me like picked up an instrument. I had one buddy that, uh, he's Korean. So he, he would go to, he would get, uh, like Korean, uh, music video compilation things. And so yeah. he was, what's funny is seeing like how big like Korean pop is now. Just like a buddy Jonah was into that shit. It, it's been around forever. Yeah. It's that's what's crazy. And he start, he was trying to learn how to like pop and lock and everything back in seventh grade. And he even took that shit to the talent show for a couple shit. of years. And everyone was like, oh, and he was just like, yeah. Like I remember, you know, I think one or two times he tried to teach me. And I'm like, that would have been a very weird path that I would have gone down to. Down the K-pop path. <sighs> Jinkos, gelled up hair. You never had Jinkos? No. I just, I, it I had took, some. It took a while before I was in control of what kind of I, regular blue jeans is what I was allowed to get. Hopefully, I didn't flood too much when I sat down. Now I don't care, but that's all I cared about then. But it wasn't my dollar. Going I never to those got pants. giant. Like my brother-in-law, uh, we were friends at the time. Um, he like, I got to get fifty-two inches. Oh God, though. Yeah, and I'm like, wanted... what? Fifty-two inches? And yeah, they're fifty-two inches around each leg. I believe there was a guy at our high school who made his own, and I want to say it could be just be a corrupted file in the memory bank, but I think it was 70 inches. It's like, why? I need to consult our friend Ian McKinnon, because this, this, this was a tall dude. The dude was like 6'6 six, six or 6'7, six, and he, I, I probably, he probably needed to learn how to make his own pants. And he, he just made, it looked he like it was, it was like a weird dress. They just, they did look yeah, like dresses. Yeah, and that's when what was so that funny is I think once that insult, what if you were brazen enough to call someone because somebody's wearing jinkos, they might be able to kick your ass. There's a good possibility. I would bet on them, a jinko wearer being able to kick some ass. So if you would be like, if hey, their look pants the didn't get in the way, yeah, but you don't know that. It's all about looks, you yeah. know. And then we'll, we'll see how the fight ensues, you know. Those pants could just fall off too. You never know. And then they got a I lot of I never got mobility. that big. I just had them where they were nice, loose, and baggy, and they mm. felt good. Yeah. And I could tuck my either my feet up in them when I was skating, or I rollerbladed too, and I could tuck the rollerblades up in them. Okay. And it just looked like you were floating around. Oh, like you couldn't see that's the skate. Cool. Okay. But like, I didn't I understand don't a lady or two. The, the importance of having big legs like that until my brother in law showed me. We went to Guitar Center, 
and we're dicking around and at the time as everybody does you know guitar centers in this day were packed people were always up there and um you know we're we're fumbling around and i'm looking at all these bases i want and new amps and stuff and we get we get done we get ready to leave we walk out the car and he's like all right he's like he's like hold on a second you know we get out the car and he gets in kind of weird he goes drive up down the street you know we're at the one in arlington what are statutes of limitations? Like, this is way, this is like 25, 30 years ago, right? I can talk about this. Yeah, sure. Why not? Okay. So he just opens up the top of his Jinkos and pulls out a strap. Damn. He had, oh my God, a Stratocaster <laughs> in his Jinkos that he walked out with. <laughs> and I went, holy shit. A full really? On a full on Stratic. Even I know nothing about. I know nothing about. You know what's funny yeah. is I just I, all my music knowledge comes from Wayne's World, mm-hmm. and even I know a Stratocaster is a big deal. Holy shit! Yeah. How? I guess it was a display one. I guess. Yeah. You know they okay, have the yeah. wall of guitars, and he just took one down and pretend like he was playing it. I guess and put and it in his he, pants. And as he's playing, it's he's slowly, slowly getting vertical <laughs> with it, and then it's slowly disappearing. And next thing you know, he's just looking at drumsticks. Yeah. Or something, just look like I, Dustin, you ready to go? He walked. I have no idea how he did it because I wasn't really around him the whole time we were in there. And then we walk out, and he's As like, planned. Oh, hold on, hold on. And he's all sitting all kind of cockeyed in the car. And he's like, All right, go around the corner. And he's like, He starts unzipping his pants. And I'm like, What the fuck are you doing? And he pulls out the body of a strat. Wow. He's like, Good Lord. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It'd be funny if he it's kicked his awesome. leg and just like a dozen picks fell out. Yeah. <laughs> Here. God, that is. I mean, he, a whole pedal board of pedals falls down and <laughs> opens up his other leg and there's an eight inch combo in there. And he's like, let's go. I got the whole gear. We can practice. So Jinko's had a purpose this entire time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I wonder how many new metal bands started because of that, that practice. <laughs> Maybe. But you know, you're talking about the new metal I thing. I got the hair gel. You got the stolen strat. Let's jam. I remember going into CDX here in Hearst, which was my favorite record store around here because it was just chill, relaxed. Did, is that where did that eventually become CD Warehouse? Uh, CD no, Warehouse. okay, that, that's it the was, only record store here I remember. You remember the you know remember where the Furs is before they tore it down? I think Bedford Ulysses and yeah. um, one eighty three. Okay. There's that shopping center that runs. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of behind the bank and the yeah. old Taco Bueno and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, CDX was up in there. Okay. And ran by a guy named Craig. They had bands in there that played. Oh. Um, it was just a cool place to go look and listen to music. And you would learn about new stuff. And when that, you know, I'm listening to not... I'm not a huge... See, this is where things get weird. I'm not a huge metal metal fan. Mm. I'm a offshoot of metal fan. Okay. Like, like that's the your... music I like. Like, like we've talked about like the ministry stuff. Yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um back then it was the industrial side of metal. Mm. And it was the harder rock metal. It wasn't the falsetto vocals and screaming and makeup and all that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I grew to, uh, enjoy that and appreciate that for what it was being like, like Iron Maiden, you appreciate them for being the, yeah. uh, one of the forefathers the, of the, Judas uh, Priest and just, yeah, the whole, uh, 
new wave of British heavy metal that kind of changed mm-hmm. things. You kind of like that stuff, but the like the stuff I was into um, back then led me to corn. Okay. And I remember asking Craig, I was like, what's this corn stuff? You know, you see the, the first record. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, man, it's like Rage Against the Machine mixed with uh, some rap. And I was like, oh, okay. So Rage get, Against the Machine. <laughs> <laughs> and you kind of listen to it, and you're like, oh, okay. Or it was like, how did he say? It's Rage Against the Machine. A metal Rage Against the Machine is what he said. Okay. I mean, I could, yeah. uh, mixed with a little bit more rap. And I was like, okay. So you listen to it and you're like, oh, okay, this is what this is. You know, I bought that first record and was like, I wasn't impressed. Hmm. But it grows on you. These guys are just you. raging against their inner demons. Yeah. What are these guys? What What is this tuning? Yeah. <laughs> Where are these guys at? <laughs> and then like, you start. Okay. It's a good rev. Friends going? start listening to it and it grows on you. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I get this. Okay, neat. And then at the time, uh, really started getting into local music and you start seeing local metal bands start being like, we got to tune low too. and mm-hmm. We got to be evil. And there were a few bands around at the time like Stink Bug and um, shit. What was the the, the biggest one? I um, can't even think of who they are. But they start detuning and start sounding, you know, they start mm-hmm. pulling some of that. We got to have a, a DJ in the band and we got to have a sampler and we got to have this. We're definitely and that. talking like late 90s. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. was it late? Yeah, I guess so. Late yeah. 90s, mid, mid to yeah. late 90s. Yeah. So you had, then you had. I kind of forget that corn was definitely like mid nineties, and yeah, then, you know, because fall leader was probably like eighty or ninety or ninety eight ish, maybe. God damn it! What was the name of that band? Element eighty. <laughs> no, but you had those bands too. But yeah, that was yeah, more yeah. two thousand when I was playing the scene because we played a lot of shows with those guys. Um, God dang it! I can't think of who that was. Anyway, there's a bunch of those. Met local metal bands started putting in the rap yeah. oh, feel okay, to yeah, them yeah. and you know we're gonna have a sampler and we're gonna have a dj and we're gonna have this and that and even one of my early bands we had a dj it's weird seeing that in scratching. like some modern uh i guess metal core lack for a better term bands that it's yeah. just kind of like there's some bands that like code orange vein uh i'm not, not is really... there a dj in code orange there is now okay i finally because this band i I, I I like them at times. I don't like them at times. I, I, I respect how forth. they're doing stuff. And it's not like even they're like people, they went soft or something. Like, it's not even that, that I, there's, I don't know, something, some songs put me off. Some are all right. Uh, it looks like just now, I didn't realize that they were a band for years that where the drummer sang. Yeah. And now they, and he now was he, everything. And now he's the front man. They have a drummer, but I also think they have specifically a sample guy. Yeah, okay. Because, so, and like yeah. the early stuff was all him. Mm. Like he, or he had a guitarist come in with him, but it was basically, it was all his project. Mm. And then oh, it slowly okay. started adding pieces here and there. And they formed really young too. And that's what, really young. That, and that's the thing where I, I can't shed on them because I'm just like, I love, you know, I'm like, that's an interesting dude. And like how they've just been together for so long, started young and making all these waves and kind of reinventing the genre of hardcore and metalcore and finding this very, this young fan base that probably didn't experience. Like I heard them and like Jesus piece 
and not realizing that they're kind of taking a sound from uh, like di- the band uh, Disembodiment. Yeah. And I was like, oh shit, they had this sound in the late '90s. Uh-huh. But something that heavy and that raw was not getting. You know, there might be opening for Hatebreed, which was maybe making some traction. You then. could throw a parallel yeah. to, to Fear Factory, too. Oh, shit. Oh, that yeah. have been around there, you know. That D-Manufacturer mm. and Obsolete Records sound a lot like a modern day. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. Those records that they were made today would probably sound a lot like what Code Orange is putting out. I remember junior high, a friend do a lot had of chopping and, and I did not change the thing realize. Up. I knew what I, was, what I was listening to was heavy, but I didn't know how to comprehend it. Because... I I was just like, let's play the Cars cover, <laughs> or uh, let's play Cars. Yeah. Not you know, let's play the Gary yeah. Newman song. Not even realizing, I don't even know who Gary Newman was, but not realizing everything before that was a really blistering, heavy fucking heavy, album. Heavy, heavy, heavy. I really just couldn't comprehend it because I hadn't even heard, I hadn't gotten into punk rock at that time. So I was just like, this is just loud and like we we were loving it, but I couldn't really understand what was going. So on. So one of the most bizarre shows I ever went to was Fear Factory at. Uh, D, the old Deep Ellum Live. Oh, yeah. And we were, we went because of, it was two badass local bands opening. Baboon. Okay, yeah. Which didn't make sense. But then Course of Empire opened, which was a huge Course of Empire fan. They're freaking badass. You know, they were they were one of the, in the 90s, they were one of the top five DFW bands going. Oh, okay. They were just amazing and they could have filled Deep Elm Live on their own. Oh, wow. Okay. They didn't need Fear Factory, but they opened, and we're watching them, and Fear Factory came on, and I physically got sick from the low end. Oh, okay. Like, just rupturing the flesh off my mm. bones, just peeling it off. That's what Fear like, Factory's lyrics want to do to you. <laughs> yeah, and you can feel, like... That I was, was their I, intention all along. One of my one of my best friends I was there with, man, he we look at each other and we're just like, what the hell? And you could just like see our clothes just move backwards off our body. It was weird and it hurt. Yeah. Like just physically hurt. Wow. And I've only been to two shows where I've had to like either go to the back yeah. or turn my head away or something. And Fear Factory was one of them, and then uh, Metallica did that summer sanitarium hmm. tour where they did it at um, the old Cowboy Stadium. The old Cowboy Stadium, and James Hetfield hurt himself on Lake Texoma on uh, a jet ski, hurt oh. his back, and he couldn't do the show. So they had a bunch of people fill in, like Kid Rock oh, okay. and Jason Newstead and Serge and um, what's his name from Lincoln Park. Chester or Chester, okay. you know they all filled in singing okay. Metallica songs. They did the whole Metallica set, uh, but they had different people come out and sing. Was James at least playing guitar? He wasn't there. At all. James wasn't there at gotcha. all. Okay. And so yeah, the stuff that needed guitar, uh, I can't remember. I think the Road Tech filled in. I, that makes sense. Yeah, I think it was the Road Tech that filled I'm in. I'm pretty sure plenty of people in that audience could have filled in. Yeah, the drum tech's just someone they know, and they're like, "He knows this. This is yeah, what we play." Let's go. We all learned this stuff growing up. Yeah, exactly. We know all the Metallica songs. So what they did was they came back and they did a makeup show Mm. later that year at Starplex. That show was so goddamn loud. I couldn't hear for like three days, four days, like really hear after it. It was so loud. And it was one of those ones where 
about midway through the show, I was ducking my head behind the people that were standing up in front of me. Could it block the sound a little bit? To block the sound because it was so yeah. freaking loud. Like, I, I, I had to have lost part of my hearing at that show. The only... I, it was one show. I do not remember the band, uh, uh, but the Curtain Club. I remember one band in particular was just kind of. I was just like, "This hurts." So I just went outside, you know, drank, smoked some cigarettes, just enjoyed it I, on the porch. Yeah, just because. I, and I don't even remember if I was enjoy if I was. It wasn't the band I was there for, but I was just like, "That's one, the one way I can relate." I was like, "This physically hurts. I can't be in this room. I don't know how other people can. Maybe they're." hearing's worse than mine. My hearing's fine, I think. You know, I can get but, it from a local band like that just doesn't know their levels, and maybe there's a guy working the board that night that, you know, yeah, they, isn't they, on they, point. <laughs> but then... You can't compensate for their lack of tune. When you're a national band coming through that has their own board guys, their own sound techs, everything... Yeah, they should know better. You should know better than to be that loud. And I've seen Metallica probably a dozen times. And that was by far the worst now, one, experience seeing them. Now, one thing I'm curious is uh, there's so many, and this is the thing, is like there's so many topics I, I could talk. Photography. Yeah. Well, okay, that one I didn't know about you until like we became Facebook friends and you just see someone's timeline and it's just like, now I'll just like, I see you post pictures on the Cowboys field photographing cheerleaders. How did... The photography go back to like with the music? How does you and photography? Photography goes back to high school and it probably goes back to when I was younger because my dad was a photographer. My biological dad Mm. was a photographer. And I didn't put this together until just a couple of years ago that, of course, I would go see him these random weekends year and he'd have walls of cameras old cameras, oh, you know, okay. stuff and stuff he'd shoot with. He, uh, helped. He, what's the best way? He co co-partnered, uh, pounds photo lab in Irving, which is one of the biggest photo labs in the country. Oh, okay. Um, co-founded it. And he, it's kind of weird. Like, NASA would send stuff to Pounds to get developed. Oh, okay. Because um, they didn't have a photo lab down in Houston. So they would send raw negatives to wow. Pounds to be either developed and blown up mm. and prints made and all this stuff. Now, this was uh, early 80s, early to mid 80s. So I have a bunch of photos that I don't even know if I'm supposed to have. <laughs> <laughs> I have a bunch of stuff. In in my house right now, a bunch of photos of the space program that I don't know if I'm supposed to have or not, and they're straight from it's like it's a little faded it's for government. Some yeah. you, whatever, yeah, it's, whatever. It, it's no big I deal. can't read it anyways. It's fine. And but so I, I didn't put all this together until maybe it just subconsciously entered. But I always loved taking photos. I was always the guy that, you know, the last week of school, I would take up a, a small Polaroid or a mm-hmm. little 110 camera and take pictures of all my friends and yeah. we'd have fun, you know, or be jacking around on the playground and take pictures and stuff. And it kind of carried over um, through junior high and high when school. Back you needed to give a shit about a picture being taken. And not, yeah. in my case, which was my aunt yelling at me to smile, which is why I, yeah. I, can't, I can't smile to this day. But 
And then that my, actually sounds fun. <laughs> my uncle was into it too, and I used to go out. He used to do a lot of astro work, and I didn't put that together until. What's astro work? Um, moon, space, okay, stars. Okay. He was doing do it all now. on film, and I didn't put that together until a few weeks ago. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember going out with you to the middle of nowhere where it was dark. So you take pictures of the moon. You which take is what pictures of the stars you do to blah, this which day. Which is what I do. That's oh. And it's very weird that I didn't recognize all this till a short time ago. Yeah. But um, it, it carried on. I took photography in high school. Um, and I was, in, I was also in the... Uh, took a uh, video production television production okay and at the time i took all that it's when the formats were changing from uh, vhs to super vhs or eight millimeter and slowly the digital curve was coming where everything was going to be on smaller tapes or yeah. digital tapes and stuff so i had all this gear that i was shooting stuff and eight millimeter um, high eight, not the old real to real eight millimeter with the high camera stuff. Snuff film quality. Yeah, not my snuff yeah. film. Oh, okay. And I was shooting high eight stuff and I shot high eight stuff all through high school and a little bit past that. In fact, a lot of my early band stuff is all on high eight because mm-hmm. I had the camera. But it was changing to HD format and I was like, I don't, I don't want to be having to buy new gear. Yeah. Every time I turn around, I'm, I don't, I worked at Best Buy, you know, late in high school. I don't have money to be buying all this stuff. Yeah. So my discounts on accessories, not yes. the main shit. So I gave up video and um, just started shooting stills again. Went and got a good um, DSLR and learned it from the inside out and just started shooting again, which led to a friend of mine, a, a real good friend of mine, Eric. Uh, Garcia, he bought a SLR at the same time. I, I did by coincidence. Hmm. We found out he. I bought a Nikon. He bought an Olympus, I think, and we started learning the inside and out. Okay. Um, he then went and got a job at the Dallas Observer, okay, uh, doing IT stuff, which got me dragged into there, and I started learning how to do true photojournalism. And going out and covering events, mm. covering marches, covering rallies, covering parties, covering festivals. And then it came down to, um, do you want to cover uh, the Dallas Maverick Dancers tryouts? Well, sure, we'll go do that. You know, no one else wanted to do it. And then it came up, one, one opportunity came up of, you want to go shoot the Dallas Cowboy Cheerleader tryouts? No one wanted to do it. So me and Eric were like, yeah. We'll go do it. Meanwhile, here's your golden ticket press pass. Yeah. Which which got me in there. Like, and wait a second. I <laughs> talked to people and got to know people mm-hmm. and rubbed elbows with people. And it turned out it was all the right people. And they kept wow. inviting me back to cover for them and back and back. And then about six years ago, seven years ago, their full-time photographer uh, got hit while riding his bike around White Rock Lake. Uh, car hit him, and oh. he died. Oh. oh, And so they needed someone to come in, and I just threw my hat in there. I was like, hey, mm. 
um, you know, uh, I could do this game time stuff. Um, they already have other photographers set up for like the swimsuit calendars mm. and stuff oh, like okay. that. They already had them and they've been doing that that's for like a, a long time. It's like a studio thing. Yeah, it's so, a big studio yeah. thing. And they fly out for that. And honestly, that's, that's a headache. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I... I live here. I can just go to the stadium and yeah. watch the game. But I was like, I'll shoot the game stuff. I'll mm. shoot all all the stuff y'all need for games, all for all your social media, for everything. You know, we'll work out a deal. And that's what we did. Mm. And it's flourished since then it's been good how'd um, you pivot or segue or pivot how'd you how'd you do that to uh to get the bands like i'm guessing maybe through dallas observer or so you said you're already covering like concerts or parties yeah we were shooting dallas observer we started shooting concerts and the you kind of figure out how things work okay yeah. and you get your connections going with um live nation uh, who pretty much has control of everything. Yeah. But you also make other contacts with the other outlets like Marja Walker, mm. um, other promotion companies. Yeah. And you just, um, they get to know you, you know them. It turns out that you're not just trying to show up to shoot for yourself. Yeah. You know, you're actually shooting for a publication. When I left the Observer, I went to the Star-Telegram and shot a bunch of stuff to Star-Telegram. And started doing stuff for, at the time, they had the, um, oh, what's it called? Uh, God dang it. DFW.com oh, okay. was the entertainment side of the Star-Telegram. So I shot a bunch of shows for DFW.com, and it's just, you kind of bounce around. Star-Telegram got tired of that stuff, so um, there's a few other outlets. And then it just got to a point to where almost all the media outlets don't care about music anymore. They don't care about tours and stuff unless it's, you know, Beyonce and Jay-Z, then they'll care or some post Malone come up rapper that's playing at trees and they want to know what, what the scene is like there. They don't even care about the music. They want to know about the scene. Like what's the crowd doing and what's like watching the fucker on stage. That's probably what's happening. The bad thing about the observer was they wanted more crowd shots than they wanted performance shots. Hmm. They wanted because if you're taking pictures of the crowd and the people in attendance, it means they'll probably go look for themselves later. So it adds to clicks. Oh. So they know that if you take it was always like a thing, take ten shots of the performer or turn in ten shots of the performer and give us 70 shots of the crowd or people in attendance. And it's like, that's bull, you know, that's BS. And so I kind of, I didn't like that at all. And that's one of the reasons I left, got done with the observer that, and they wanted, they stopped paying. They wanted to trade out, uh, the payment with concert tickets. And I'm like, why do I want concert tickets for the concert? I'm already at shooting make any sense so whatever so you can hawk them but just like yeah. that's an extra step if you just give well, me money <laughs> look at them now they were losing money at the time and now look at them but it's um yeah that's it's just getting to know people and knowing how to do it now that covid's hit the game's changed yeah it's completely changed like the only team i'm getting in for right now is the cowboys and that's because of my relationship yeah but Maverick Stars. And they were one of the first to be like, we got fans, game one, yeah. September 2020. Yeah, and, you know, come on in. Yeah. But Mavericks and Stars are still super strict on photographers. Yeah. And 
uh, one of my good buddies, like I shoot for two other organizations right now and my buddy's taking care of that. If he's absent, I'll run over there and do a show or if he needs to take a night off, I'll run over there and shoot. But, um, right now there's, I mean, the whole concert thing, Live Nation hasn't said anything about people shooting shows again mm. at all. And I keep checking. I've sent messages and emails and like, oh, we'll get back with you. We'll let you know. You but, think maybe they've been looking for a reason to, because everyone's taking their own photos at every goddamn given moment. And, you know, I don't know, maybe they could yeah. just go and take some of those or. I don't know. There was a ton of shows I've shot that were no photo sh- or no phone shows. Oh, okay. Like I did a few of those. Um, but yeah, it could be that. It could be there. Were, the last few shows I went to, there were a lot of people that were like just showing up to shoot their favorite band. Yeah. Oh. Like I shot 21 Pilots. It was the first show at um, uh, Dickie's Arena. Mm. And like four photographers there were just there that somehow figured out how to work the system and it was their favorite band and they got to shoot their favorite band. And like they were, they were ultra fans. I'm sure they ran into them backstage at some point. Mm -hmm. So you started having a bunch of that crap. Which doesn't give someone like you a good reputation. Yeah. You know, unless you already know people. They're like, no, no, he's good. These other guys are amateurs. How the fuck they're in here? There's a dozen of us that are known. Mm. Okay. through the outlets they know us they know our names they know us when we get there and they're like you know it is a big kind of family environment you know y'all work together during a show because you're all in the photo pit so you're trying to that's rain oh okay make sure <laughs> yeah you're all trying to not get in each other's way hmm. and you want to be able you want to be you know hey you're gonna shoot from that direction i'm gonna shoot from this direction you know i just don't want to be in the way hmm. Um, so you all work together and you're all friends. You're all friendly. Um, everybody gets along at first. It's kind of like, who the hell are you? But after you show up three or four shows and they, they find out you're shooting for, they're like, Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So in in my experience, you're one of those people, you know, I want to get the whole story. Like, you know, I've gotten so far, but you're like one of those people that's seen so many concerts and then, but like, you know, when you find out how, you're just like, oh, go fuck yourself. You got into so many awesome shows in great spots on the stage, behind the stage. These fuckers are walking right yeah. next to you. And it's just like, <laughs> like there's people, you know, we know people that, you know, they may or may not have a press pass, but they go see a shit ton of shows. And I used that, to be, that, I used to pay a shit ton of money to go see a shit ton oh of yeah. shows. So to me, it's like, I, I would, you know, I'd go, you know, historically probably to three times as many shows I've had if I just, you know, could justify the money, which I, I had to be like, all right, this band never leaves their section of the country. I got to see this. And it's probably at, you know, there's probably 50 people showing up. So it's not that bad, not that bad anyways, but. I could always justify not going to huge concerts and be like, I can go to five much smaller concerts with, and buy some merch, have yeah. a bar tab, and still probably come out less than that one show. But then you have festivals like um, uh, Vans Warped Tour that come through, oh, yeah. and that would be the only so time you could see like a handful of bands. Yeah, like that would be the only tour they would do. They would never do a solo tour because they mm. never thought they were big enough to do it. Yeah, or you know. Um, they couldn't afford to do a solo tour. First work tour I went to was to see 311 with my best friend. And I'm so pissed at myself that 
it was like maybe a year later I, that I made a, a new friend that ended up being like to this day I have two best friends one 311 fan the other one got me into punk and like the next year in the next school year I met that other friend got me into punk and then realizing that that warp tour I went to solely with uh with my best friend Anthony and uh, his aunt and her boyfriend like took us. His aunt was like kind of cool, and I'm pretty sure she was smoking weed that whole time. She let me and him like down a beer in the parking lot. So we went to see 311. Also happened to see Alien Ant Farm, which nice. they put on a really good show. They were good. Yeah, like I saw they them. were. They weren't bad, you know. Yeah. And that Smooth Criminal cover was great. To their credit, amazing. And I loved. It it. I bought the CD and I bought a shirt. But looking back on it, I was like, I looked at the lineup. And apparently I had missed uh, AFI, who they were like, this was peak Very AFI, peak. you know, full, like, gothy Davy Havoc. And I think the Offspring also played, maybe. But the Vandals also played, which I got. I know which one you're talking about. It was Because I was at that one. I, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you what year, 2000, maybe, 99. Yeah, 2000, sounds about, or one, yeah. And who knows what other awesome bands I missed. But then, like, the next Warp Tour... Uh, the next couple ones I went to, I I was like, all right, here's the plan. I want to you go and like take good fifteen minutes, look at the board. That's and, what pissed me like, off. Fucking stocks. What just how convoluted? Having to it all get got? there, like the the lineup changed it daily. Oh, okay. Or per stop, and so you didn't know when you would see someone. You had to be there. To you had to be there when gates what, open when to go up to the damn board. Mm. And see when your favorite bands are playing. You had to check that a couple of times. That shit might change on a dime. Yeah, and you didn't have cell phones back then to take pictures of it. You'd have to come keep walking back shit, or whatever. I, I went with the friend, and we kind of got lost because I wanted to see uh, uh, the band of Protest the Hero. This also I was getting into the, like metal, and like here's this like fucking crazy metalcore band with this dude that can fucking sing. He was like, "All right," I'm like, "I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go watch them." He's like, "All right, I'm gonna go watch this band." And through circumstance, we happenstance, circumstance, whatever, we found each other again. <laughs> we could have been lost the rest of that fucking night. We had no cell phone with us. No. But I had the car. So he had to find that me. Was... And I think we were like, let's meet back here in maybe this amount of time. But luckily, we ran into, I think we, we ran into a group of people we knew. And then we were like, all right, here we go. And. I was, figure that out. I'm trying to find this band to see if you'd ever I kind of saw Thrice off in a distance. Arch Enemy. Did you ever see Arch Enemy? I have not. I know exactly who you're talking about, but... That's the the hot blonde chick, right? She's in the front. She that, I think her hair's more red, but... Yeah, or no, yeah, yeah. in this moment. So I was oh, okay. Yeah. I, I know who you're talking about. With the hot... Definitely not my cup of tea, but... I saw them at one of those... It's such a weird... Metalcore fest, and such she... Such a weird, like, the... the is hot. band name's not heavy. It's it's such a weird, like, it's... They, the guitarist is heavy as shit. The guitar? Yeah, he's like, the shit he was playing was ridiculous. Well, no, just the name. The name does it, yeah, like, in, in this, this moment. moment. Like, mm-hmm. moment's such a, a yeah. neutral word, and then you get, you know, got some prepositions running, and it's like, okay... <laughs> So yeah, back but, to Warp Tour because in this moment I think was on one, one year and then I saw him again on this other um, metal tour, but the um, I missed out because I was stuck in traffic. Dillinger Escape Plan at Warp Tour oh. because they played first, oh. early in the day, because that's the whatever they I guess from my understanding the bands do a drawing, or the management does a drawing or someone. Oh okay. The roadies do what, it. They you know, draw what album, where they're going to be. What album era this was for um, them? 
It was uh, Miss Machine. Okay, so Greg. Yeah. Greg's first. It was album. Greg. Okay. Is Greg but still like that? Would have been amazing to see newly Greg fronted Dillinger when they were that insane. Time. Yeah, at that time. Yeah, they're still pretty fucking I mean, young with Greg. Yeah, who wants to show what he can do? That's the <laughs> that's the mall Virgin Megastore mall time. Yeah, period where he yeah. just takes off running across the crowd in the middle of a mall. <laughs> who knows what they would have been like? And you know, fucking no kidding. Three p.m. <laughs> It's got like, all right, let's, yeah. Let's let's set the bar really high for any bands. But they were the first band the playing that day. I was like, God damn it! So my favorite um, concert story. Growing up, I, I told you, you know, my my family was really strict, um, or we grew up in a, a strict religious household, and but my mom was always very loose with my music. Okay. She's like, as long as you aren't listening to gangster rap about killing, you know, committing murder. Hey, mom, body counts technically I, punk. I'm about the body count <laughs> punk record. Punk and metal. And you're not listening to albums about, you know, worshiping Satan yeah. or, or stuff like that. It, we're cool with it. You know, yeah. we're cool. Or over, overly sexual. Okay. You know, so we're cool with it. I was like, okay. And I, I you know, that... My Michelle on GNR, Appetite for Destruction, is a little pushing the boundary. AFI but, covers My Michelle. Yeah, in case you didn't. it's a great song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you you know you're kind of pushing boundaries here and yeah, there, yeah. but it wasn't it wasn't hardcore. My mom is one of those ones like. Oh, so it's just lyrically, it's well written yeah. lyrically. It is so great. It's just like, well, I guess it could be more of a warning against. <laughs> she believed, you know, it was very artistic hmm. listening to this stuff, and it wasn't going to corrupt your brain. Yeah. You know, it takes more than that to corrupt your brain. And that watching TV, watching violent movies or violent TV or overly sexual TV was way worse than listening to music. So they were really loose. I was 15 years old, couldn't drive yet. My best friend could drive. He was 16. Um, His parents had a Ford Escort that they let him drive on the weekends. He'd come pick me up. We'd go run around, do stuff. This particular Sunday... Gas was cheap as fuck, so... It was cheap as fuck. Here's five bucks. Go drive This particular Sunday, we just straight up told my parents... Or told his parents... I didn't tell my parents anything. Told his parents, because we were staying at his house, that we were going to go to the Parks Mall in Arlington. And that was the furthest he could drive at 16, was to the Parks Mall. Well, we didn't go to the Parks Mall. We went to Starplex. Oh, yeah. Nice. For the very first Edge Fest. Oh, okay. It was raining, pouring, nasty. Um, okay, so the the lineup was the Sugar Cubes and uh, Dramarama and the Origin and the Charlatans UK. I've and I've not recognized there. a single band. <laughs> okay, we I had a ton of friends from school going. Uh, at this time, my best friend was homeschooled, so basically. He latched on to all my school friends. So I had a bunch of school friends going. It was going to be great. We were all going to meet up. All had, uh, at the time, you could sit on the lawn. Or I think all tickets were $9.45 because it was the Edge Fest, you know. So we get there, meet up with my friends. And the the headliner was, was that 808 State? I think was the headliner. I don't know. But anyway, co-headlining was Pearl Jam. Okay. Their first Dallas show ever. Wow. Okay. So the the day before, 
we went to Sound Warehouse at Walnut Hill and Seventy Five, where we weren't supposed to be either. Yeah, that's a but we had the band way away from here. It was a signing, in store signing. Oh. Pearl Jam. They signed our copies of Ten, and we were in the last group to get to go in. So we just kind of hung around the store afterwards. There was like twenty people behind me hmm. to get signed, and then the band just hung out. And so I went and talked to Jeff Hallman about all this stuff and, you know, his bases and growing up. And at, at the time, I think David Breezy, who lived here, was their drummer. And, uh, you know, we just sat around and talked to the band, everybody. Wow. Eddie left, but wow. we we hung out and with the rest of the band. It was really cool. So then we go to Edge Fest. Like I said, it's rainy, nasty day. Um, we're dirty. People are pulling down these those edge banners, the big long ones, and laying them down on the lawn and making slip and slides out oh, of them. Oh man! That's... And the first mosh pits I ever got in that were huge, the big circle ones out oh. on the lawn. We're throwing mud and we're dirty and nasty. And then uh, Pearl Jam comes on, and first time I've ever been in a scene to rush a stage. Okay, wow! So I rush yeah. the stage, and I get right up there and right up front. Um, they play, uh, the Who's Bobo O'Reilly. I lose my shit because I'm freaking out. I love that song. That's one of my favorite songs. And, uh, Eddie jumps in the crowd and he's crowd surfing and he passes, you know, we're passing him over and stuff. And time of my life at that age, I was like, this is so badass. Yeah. So we go to leave and we go and riding on this high. Yeah. Go to get in the car turn the key oh yeah that's the turn stuff. the key again that's <laughs> the stuff <laughs> won't start pop the hood no jumper cables his dad doesn't have any jumper cables in this car we're begging people can we borrow your jumper cables do you have any jumper cables our car is dead you know come on yeah uh, tell them we'll pay them, you know, a couple of bucks. My best friend's freaking out because his parents are super strict. Oh, the homeschool, yeah. So he's wearing uh, an old Jane's Addiction shirt where it's it's Mother Mary holding eyeballs on a plate. And something his parents were hugely would freak out yeah. if they saw him. In. So he's taking his shirt off and he's putting his flannel on. And he's like, I got to go call my dad, you know. And... I'm just sitting with the car and he takes off and he runs. He goes up front to a payphone and calls dad and tells him what's happened. This is after like 30 minutes trying to get started. We actually found someone that had jumper cables okay. and we put them on there for a while and it wouldn't charge. Yeah. Come to find out the contacts were corroded. Didn't know at the time. You pour some Coke on there and mm. it'll leave the corrosion away yeah. and it would have charged. But anyway, so he comes back and he's like, they're on their way. And they called your dad too. Oh, it's like, son of course of a that was bitch. gonna happen. The homeschool, the homeschool kid's dad's gonna yeah tell everybody. Or oh, he's probably he probably narc. He probably blamed it all on me. <laughs> it's probably what it was. So they finally show up, and in this time, my best friend's taking his tapes, and we have we have a good collection of tapes, man. Hmm. And he's like, "You gotta throw all these away. You gotta get rid of them." I'm like, I'm not getting rid of them. They're my tapes. Yeah. I'm not getting rid of it. Well, I got to get rid of this uh, ritual de la habitual. I got to throw it away, and I got to throw away this ministry, and I got to throw away this uh, the smashing pumpkins, and I got to throw away, you know, all these. Wait, out of your tapes? Out of his. Oh, don't you say it's 
give them to me. That's what I said. He's like, oh, they'll know they're, they don't all belong to you. You know, his logic was kind of out of control when all this at is that, going down. That scenario, oh, yeah, there's not what, how, how old were you? You said like 15, 16? I was 15, he was 16. Yeah, you're not thinking logically, barely, especially so, in this moment, this scenario, you're not. I keep all my tapes, and good. it's kind of funny because um, I put them in my pocket. It's no big deal. Um my dad gets there. My stepdad gets there. He's kind of pissed. You know, you can see it on his face. He's pissed because he had to get up. And, pi- is he mostly pissed because he had to get up and do something? He was pissed that he had to drive to <laughs> the south side of Dallas, <laughs> or the southeast side of Dallas. Not a, he's not mad at what you That's did. what he was pissed off about. He's like, I just, I'm pissed that I had to drive all the way over here. And it's raining. God, come on, kids. So yeah. <laughs> they get the car started, and I, of course, I don't ride back with them or with him. I read back with my dad, and my dad's like, we'll talk about all this later, you know. I'm, I'm kind of pissed. You know you weren't supposed to be over there, and you weren't supposed to be going to this. And I was like, man, but it was an arts fest and everything. And, you know, it was, it was um, at the time, it was Save the Planet Day. Oh, okay. Or whatever. Earth Day. Earth Day. Like that, yeah. And that's why they did it, you know. And it was just, you know, I had a bunch of friends there and stuff, and we thought it'd be okay. And Get home. My mom's sitting there, and she's like, well, was that worth it? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, well, we're going to have to figure out what to do with you. Now tell me all about it. And I was like, oh, there's this and that. You know, this happened and this and all my friends from school. And I was like, and there's a band, Pearl Jam. She's like, Pearl Jam was there? And oh, wow. she's all, now she's interested. Yeah. You know? And she's like, well, tell me all about it. And I was like, you know that song you raised me with? That yes. Bob O'Reilly, The Who? They've covered it. And then she's like, really? And I was like, and it was fantastic. Please tell me your sheer joy and exuberance was kind of like, well, we can't and punish I was like, this. Well, and then I'm like, I got this shirt, which was the big blue note with the earth at the bottom with all mm. the bands. I was like, I got this shirt, and um, I got these tapes, and they gave all this stuff away free, and there was this local band called the Nixons. It's the first time I've seen them. They were badass, and, um, you know, I was just talking. I pull all my tapes out and everything. Everything's cool. And she's like, all right, well, you need to go to bed. Um you got to get up and go to school tomorrow, and we'll talk about this tomorrow when you get home. Okay. Well, I guess in the time period, they found out that pretty much my best friend got his ass kicked by his parents. Oh. <laughs> and they grounded him for two weeks or three weeks or something like that. And so I got home, and my mom's like, all right, well, let's talk about your punishment. She goes, I have to ground you for two weeks. And I was like, oh, you do? I was like, why? And she's like, well, that's what they did to Chayman. And so you need to, we got to do something. But you know. Parental law agreement. We'll just, uh, we'll just, I hope you enjoyed this and had fun. I was like, okay, cool. (laughs) And it was the easiest two week grounding I've ever had. I pretty much just couldn't go and go hang out with my friends on the weekends, but I could still pretty much do whatever else I wanted. Yeah. Anytime I, you know, well, send these tapes you just procured. Yeah, they didn't take my Sega Genesis away or nothing, you know. (laughs) And then, uh, like a few, a few months later, I think I was slowly going from tape to CD. And the thing with my best friend's parents was, anytime we went out, they would go through his stuff, like his entire room. Oh man! Looking for drugs or porn or bad music or whatever. Just the homeschool friend. Yeah, 
He's so, fucking homeschooled. How would he? How would, how would he even have time to go get that shit? Well, he did somehow. Oh, okay. But um, smart, smart kid. My, uh, you know, my stuff was always over there, and then my CDs and tapes were oh. in there too. So they went through my stuff, all my, uh, my bag. Oh. And I got home. We got back to their place. I was like, "Where's, where's all my shit's been gone through? What the hell?" I was like, "All my music's gone." And what the hell? Well, his brother lived at home. Who was older, twenty one, twenty two at the time, and his sister, who was two years older than me. And it's like, we went and asked them, "Where's our stuff? You know, did you take our stuff? Did you go through my stuff? Did you take my CDs, records?" I didn't care, or my CDs and tapes. You know, I didn't care. I just want to know where they are. Yeah, yeah. No, no, dad's got them. Dad has to have them. Oh, my God, you know, dad has to have them. Well, it turned out when he, the next day when I was supposed to go home, their dad wanted to take me home, you know, made it adamant that my best friend wouldn't take me home by himself. He was driving us home, and my best friend would go with me or whatever. So he starts talking to us on the way about our music, and the choices we're making in our life and the stuff we're listening to and how it's going to affect us. And we're eventually going to go downhill and, you know, end up in prison or whatever because of the music we're listening to, all that crap. And we get home and he has a bag and it's got all my music CDs and stuff in it. And he walks up to the door with me, which was really weird, Mm -hmm. and asked to talk to my mom and my stepdad. So they come to the door and I'm like, what's going on here? You know, I'm, I'm seriously like now I'm questioning and yeah. I just turned to him. I was like, what's the deal? Why do you have my stuff? And my mom goes, are, are the, is this your music? And I said, I think so. So I open up, look at it. Sure enough, it's the, I had at the time, like a handful of CDs and a couple of tapes. And my mom just looks at it and goes, yeah, this is all mine. And she goes, all right, just take that to your room. And, uh, uh, just stay in there. We're going to have a little conversation here. And, of course, me being a kid, I'm all listening to the door. Oh, yeah, yeah. My mom ripped his dad a new asshole. Hell, yeah. Up and down. Don't you ever go through my child's stuff. Don't you ever think that you are an authority over him Damn. and what he has. I am well aware of the music he listens to and what's going through, and I approve of what he's got. Damn. Just, like... My stepdad didn't say anything, badass. but my yeah. mom, like, just Oh, he, he probably was like, asshole. I don't need to say shit here. She's yeah. got this on lockdown. <laughs> it set my mom this off. fucking asshole coming yeah. over here. Set my mom off. my kids. Yeah. Oh. And I'll let him go to any concert he wants. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. It was a good times. Yeah. So how yeah. did... Now, I guess... Okay, we got, we got uh, music, uh, you... We kind of gloss over some of the band stuff, which I mean, just told part. How did how did you get? How did it come to you building your own podcast studio, which is your shed on in your backyard? Which a lot of people are like shed, like no, no, there's a shed. There's an air conditioning unit, an arms yeah. reach here. It's two there's, stories tall. Oh yeah, there is. Oh yeah, yeah. I there's a second story that. up there. There's a beer fridge. There's liquor. Yeah. There's liquor around, and you have two uh, so, computer, TV, satellite hookup. How did it come to this sweet, awesome pad? So this <laughs> I always um, wanted to know. When I bought the house, this shed set out here as a storage shed. You know, they had uh, the people that lived here before us had their lawn equipment in here and tools and some spare 
lumber and pipes and stuff. And uh, the f- first band I was in was kind of falling apart. And I, w- I started jamming with some other guys. And we were jamming in the house. Hmm. Um, at the time, I didn't have a son. So his bedroom was an office space. And it was my where I had my computer set up. And I could had a small IO there that I could record stuff with a couple of mics if I wanted to. But it was big enough to fit like five people in there to jam with. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's a pretty big room. So I set that up and we were jamming in there and I was like, you know what? This is getting too loud because no one else could do anything in the house yeah. if we were jamming. It's, it just was just way too loud and the sound traveled through the house. So uh, me and the front man of that band at the time who I was, who I was good friends with, started looking at this shed because I was like, let's go here and look at this shed and see what we need to do. Just check out its bones. <laughs> and yes, it had that crap in here, but it was just hollowed out. And I was like, you know, we get some insulation, we get some carpet, some sheetrock in here. We can soundproof these walls. And so all of us in the band at that time started looking for material. And we found um, a lot of carpet. So there's carpet in all the walls. There's, I went and bought insulation, so there's insulation all on the oh. walls. Then we put we went from insulation to tar paper. We put a roll of tar paper down. Then we put the carpet up. And then my drummer at the time, uh, Jesse, found this rubber material that is is real thick insulated rubber. And so we coated the walls with that and then put the sheetrock up. Hmm. We could jam in here and no one, it sounded like if you were standing right outside, it sounded like a small radio was on somewhere. And (laughs) this became our jam shed. And the band at the time had five people in it. Um, Some shit fell apart. And Jesse and I still wanted to play. You know, he had his drum kit back here in the corner. I made him a drum shield because that was the only thing that killed us was him hitting his cymbals was just too bright. So I made him a drum shield. And we still wanted to jam, so we you know, get in up. your corner. <laughs> At that same time, Stubbs was uh, his daughters were older, and he was wanting to jam again. So he started coming around again, and we made the three piece. I was once eaten, and we started writing and playing, and we did shit a ton of fucking shows, and we're doing good, and um, we're really on the verge of taking off more or less at that time. And, um, Jesse, our drummer hurt his back pretty bad. Almost. It, I always say he broke his back. It was almost like he broke his back. He fucked up a bunch of his vertebrae at work mm. and we had shows lined up and I never realized how bad it was. Um, but he couldn't pack or move his drum kit. His brother had to come over and help him pack and move and set it up. And the last set of shows, he didn't want to let us down. So the last set of shows we had, he played through and like he was in tears while playing because he was in so much pain. He'd get done and he'd just walk off and just sit down and we'd carry his stuff off and his brother would, would tear his gear down. Um, It was pretty rough. And he said, 
you know, we were trying to figure out what to do. Do we want to finish up our record? Because we pretty much have a record sitting on a hard drive. You know, do we want to finish that up? Do we want to uh, pursue something with this? And he kind of just put the X and A on it. He was just like, I, I can't do it anymore. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm in pain. I don't know how long this is going to last. And if it was going to take a year or two, it may not. It, it was going to take him forever to get back up to speed, yeah. basically. And we thought about getting another drummer in here, and then the studio just sat empty. Like, I I had a drum kit in here. I had amps everywhere, um, and it sat empty for about a year. I came out, I, I'd come out here once or twice, and I'd just be bummed. I'd be like, I'd start playing bass or just kind of dicking around on my gear, hmm. and it would just bum me out too much because, I mean, we were doing good. We were having fun. Yeah. Uh, you gain all that momentum. Yeah. Like, People uh, liked dissipates. us. We were playing with national bands. We were, you know, um, showing up to playing these oddball shows, playing these weird festivals and stuff. It was great. We were having a blast. And, you know, had a, a big following. We did a thing for MTV. It was crazy. What, what was the band again? I was once eaten. Wait. Say. I. Yeah. Was yeah. once eaten. Okay. And it's spelled E Y E. Okay. Like I hate God. Okay. Was once eaten. Okay. And the name came from Stubbs. Okay. The two names that you know us by, Jerry Jonestown Massacre and I Was Once yeah. Eaten, came from Stubbs because we were drunk one night <laughs> trying to come up with band names and we were at Hooters and he goes, he goes, <laughs> man, there's this band. Truly a temple of inspiration. That you got to check out, man. It's like I was once eaten by a bear once. Oh, he's trying to think I wrestled a bear once. And it was I wrestled a bear once. Uh, but I was like, that's fucking funny that you said I was once eaten by a bear once. I was like, let's shorten that to I was once eaten. <laughs> and instead of I, we put E-Y-E and everybody was on board. Yes, let's do it. So that's where the name came Are from. Are there any spaces or is this all one word? It's all, it's right there. Oh, wait. Look at the top of that flyer right there. Uh, I was once eaten. Okay. That uh, that makes sense now. That's from one of our Austin shows. <laughs> that flyer is, and then yeah, right there. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, we. Uh, What's funny is that's like totally the font of like early '90s, somewhat underground metalcore, of like uh, just like nice and pretty early, cursive. Early Poison the Well. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of a band that usually had a woman's name in there or was named after some like old, uh, old book you read in junior high. Like there was a metalcore band called across five Aprils. And I was like, wait a second. I wrote that. I read that book in fucking seventh grade. It's about like two family split by the civil war. And I was just like, what the fuck? What's funny is, but that font, that's what that reminds me. I got to remember who it is, but like we were opening for relapse artists. Oh, we were doing shows with relapse artists. Oh, nice. And it was like, Oh, we're going down this path, huh? Okay. Next thing you know, we're doing shows with Dillinger. Damn. I mean, it was like if we could see a path. Okay. Working. I like how this is good. Things. This is yeah. Because I felt like I maybe I we we glossed over the band stuff, but no, no. I like how this is part of it. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So okay, it like yeah. we could see a path working. Like yeah. we're playing with these badass bands. And we're doing this and that, and it was a great. Yeah. And. It was at a time when Fort Worth music was in a lull. Like there wasn't the resurgence of Fort Worth music really kicked up. 
I think after this, the the mm. next okay. resurgence of what we know now, you know, this mm. where all these bands are getting along and know each other, and you know, there's a there's a thriving music scene. We were just before that. Mm. We were probably more of a deal in Dallas than we were here, but it was it was fun and um, so the 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 studio set empty. And Matt had come around and said, hey, man, you know, we should do one of these podcast things. I've been listening to some of these. And I had already been listening to podcasts for a while. When, when was this possibly? Like nine years ago. Okay, years, okay. Nine years okay. ago. Um, I had already been listening to a bunch of the tech podcasts, like mm-hmm. This Week in Tech and This Week in Mac and um, all of Kevin Smith's stuff he was putting out there. Oh, that's right. I always forget um, that he was. Joe Rogan was getting started, but No Agenda was out there already doing it. And maybe the, the, I was thinking about this the other day, like what was the first, like one of the first fucking podcasts I listened to. And I think it was the Freakonomics podcast. Yeah. So I, I read the, their book and I think they have a second, but I was just like, and then they had this podcast. I'm like, Oh, you, some more weird, goofy stuff. And look at it through an economic yeah. lens or some shit like that. That and, uh, hardcore history, hardcore history. Yeah. I'd listen to hardcore history. was is long yeah and stuff would but make it's me like, like it's so good and, and i was just like i'm not falling asleep i Did need you know to... he riffs that i i think i heard about that he has notes he but just, he has nothing written out he just kind of starts riffing and talking i know about he has a, dan carlin has a history in radio yeah and then apparently a, a fucking mega love of history can you riff 50 hours worth of podcast no i, I don't that's insane jesus like he just like from what i've heard he has a very loose outline of like Maybe the timeline of how things work yeah. on what he's talking about. Other than that, he just, it's knowledge. Probably just has an outline so he can go off and he's like, I think I'm going a little too far. And then he can probably work his way back to, here's what happened that next week. <laughs> They're kinda... so, and it's so wow. good. So enthralling and good. But yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so Matt was talking and he's like, you know, we should do this. And I was deep into the Kevin Smith stuff. And I was listening to, um, uh, Jay and Silent Bob get old on a trip back from Amarillo. It was on a July 4th. I have some friends that live up there and we went up there for July 4th. And as we're driving back, Kevin Smith is just like in this episode, he's just going off about how easy it is to do and how creative you can be and you can be your own voice and you don't really have to do anything. Cause all these people are like, we want to get into movie making. We want to do this. He's like, no, Get into podcasting. You know, it's freedom of speech. You can talk about whatever you want. You yeah. can do this and that. And it's easy. And all you need is a microphone and someone's face. And you just go. And so that night, as I'm driving back, you know, five-hour drive, six-hour drive, whatever, I'm putting all this stuff in my head. The gear I have, mm. the stuff to do it. Can we do it? We'll just use the studio out here. Um. At this point in time, are you working for the uh, the tech conglomerate that you currently work for? Yeah, I've been okay. working for them for 24 years now. Oh, okay. Damn. Yeah. Okay. I wanted to ask, I've always been asked about that. So, okay, yeah. cool. Gotcha. So, but that's always been a part of your... That's always been a part of it, too. Yeah. You always know how to tinker with technology. Tinker with And you worked for stupid Best stuff Buy, I guess, before make... that or something? Or... Yeah, I worked for Best Buy uh through high school okay then did some then when i got out of school i went to work for another company that's a that's an offshoot of uh the phone company oh, okay that was an all at the time it was an offshoot of southwestern bell but it got me into their 
Dustin works for Cricket, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Singular wireless. Um, so that night, I we pull into town and unload the truck. And at that time, all of us were spending a shit ton of time and money at the bars on Roof Snow. Hmm. And I hollered at, at Matt and was like, where are you guys at? And him and Seth and a few other of our friends were up at Texas Billiards. And I drove up there and I was like, I was like, I need to talk to you about something. He's like, what? I was like, you know, this podcast thing, let's do it. I was like, you've been talking about it for a little bit. Let's do it. And he's like, all right. He's like, what makes you come around? I told him the whole thing. And I was like, but let's get Seth in on it too. You know, it'll it'll be funny. Let's get Seth. He's funny. And he's like, all right. And so we started the show up. We came after that. I figured how to do everything, read up on how to do everything. Um, ended up doing everything the hard way. Um, but we did like three or four practice shows Mm. before we did our first real show that we published. And the way it was going to start was, you know, we were going to the bar so often we were going to use it as an excuse one night of the weekend to not go to the bar and to save some money. And, it slowly led to us. Well, not... Save some money after I buy a bunch of shit, honey. Just... Yeah. <laughs> I got to buy a bunch of. But know. I already had a bunch of stuff. Out <laughs> oh, okay, here. well, yeah, true. I already oh. had all the most <laughs> of the stuff, and it. Um, Maybe it's not the right stuff. You know, go it buy did some keep stuff. us away from the bar for a little bit, uh, and then sometimes we come from the bar at like two in the morning, come over here and do a show. Damn. And we would do it till four or five a.m. And they are, there's some, <laughs> there's some that are labeled late night shows that are just. <laughs> nightmares and stuff that shouldn't be said stuff going on you know passing out at the mic and just (laughs) people losing their shit it's pretty funny um i have a late night episode that i've never released that i've always thought about doing it's from the early days as in case some one of the guys pisses you off too much yeah like i will drop this and take us all well you know we will all get fired immediately if I hit upload. Our, if you Transfer. go back, if you have the ability to go back and listen to our first sh- sets of shows, they're not PC. Hmm. Um, there's a lot of stuff thrown around that, you know, at the time I just wasn't smart enough to not not say everything's gay. Yeah. You know, everything's gay. And then... Well, back then a lot of shit was gay, so you yeah. had to say... <laughs> and then it'd be like, you know... Someone would throw out the F, you know, stop being an F. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and... There's things that's kind of like they... It was all not... playground stuff to oh, yeah, us yeah. back then, but now you realize, you're like, oh, shit. You like know, maybe we should scale... And I think a lot of reasonable people, the the, the, the fight to keep that around is just kind of like... nine years ago. Yeah. And now it's kind of like, all right, I think we've said it. We realize there are people that are offended and don't like yeah. it. If I can't find other words to say, that's on you to... You know, yeah, expand your vocabulary a little bit. Well, and then you know we had gay friends in, and they were like, "Listen, guys, like you can't. T- you guys are funny, <laughs> and we get it, and we understand it, and we know what y'all are doing, but other people aren't going to be that way." Yeah, and so yeah, it turned into okay. Let's chill out. Yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll and if that's it. the way it comes about, that's totally fine. It's it's yeah. it's the people on both sides that are just like. 
you know, the, the cancel people or then there's uh, the people that are like, no, we have to say this is our right. And it's like, no, no, no. It, it can come about in a very reasonable way where you can be an adult that likes to say a lot of un PC shit. Mm-hmm. I'm like, get creative and tackle all the other and say all the other un PC things instead of trying to say, you know, this is gay or you yeah. know, the F word, the R word, just say other shit. Yeah. Or wait till the microphone's off. <laughs> <laughs> or just go on to the next point. Yeah. Just forget it. Yeah. And it's it's a, it's such a dumb yeah. place to dig your heels in. It's like, no, I have Which to. Which we, you know, we've changed all that. Um, Seth leaving. You know, there's, okay. So there's been a lot of great things that have come around the show. First off, the friendships and getting to know everybody mm. is just absolutely amazing. Um it's it's phenomenal uh, being being able to be a part of I guess the Fort Worth scene, the Dallas scene, the Denton scene, and being able to meet and hang out and talk to some of these people that yeah. we probably never would have talked to you or may have had a reason show. to see the show. Something you know, before or after they played, I, I might have walked up to. Well, okay, I might have walked up to James or Dave or Peter and been like, "Man, y'all set was great. You know, y'all were y'all were freaking good." I had seen the spectacle freaking a dozen times before we started this show. Easily all over the place. I saw them in Denton. I saw them, you know, I saw Mugzu in Denton, the early version of the spectacle. I saw the spectacle in Dallas. I've been I went to the a couple of the Halloween shows. Now I'm in the band. Mm. You know, it's one of those things. It's like they're some of the, you know, the greatest guys ever. Um, the me thinks dudes, hmm. you know, probably the same thing. I would have gone up to them and been like, man, that was a great set, dude. Man, that's good. You know, y'all sound good. Blah, blah, blah. Now, freaking some of the, the greatest guys around here. Really, really good friends. Um, you and the comedian scene or the on the comedy scene. Hmm. I didn't have access to comedians or being talked yeah, to them. And I, I find. I don't think any of them knew you. And that's like, there's I always been. I think a, the comedy scene is way more interesting than the music scene, honestly. Just because of what I've seen of the comedy scene nationwide, hmm. national. I want to know if it, if it operates that way locally. Hmm. And, you know, I think that's some of the stuff I talked to you with the first time you came in here, me and Matt talked to you about, was, you know, how, how does it all work? Is it is cutthroat locally as it is nationally? Yeah. You know, do you guys get along? Do you all have a tribe? And do you all band together when an outsider comes from out of town or something? Or, you know, I, I think it was just a couple of weeks ago I told you that, you know, there was some shit going on on Facebook. I told you, man... It's way harder to write five minutes of comedy than it is to write a five minute song. And that's that intrigues me, like the whole trying to figure out how comedy works. Yeah. I understand how music works. I understand how bands write stuff. I understand how all that yeah. goes down. But understanding how a, a single person writes comedy blows my mind. So getting to know how that works um, through all you guys and going to uh, y'all's workshops and the open mics and stuff you know that's been super cool i never would have done that in the past the weirdest thing is how how much easier it is to entertain 
like 100 to 200 to 300 people than it is 15. Yeah. And I'm just like, uh, the more and more I, I do, you know, weekends at clubs, I'm just like, <laughs> like, I, you know, I've, you know, I, and I could, I could say this because I've produced shows that are, I'm just like, I'm happy 30 people showed up and I'm, I'm more than happy when they're rolling with the, the show, the vibe of the show, the rhythm of the show and all the comics and everything. But it's just like, ah, oh, just give me 200 people. And if I say something that resembles a joke, which I'm like, I like the stuff I write, but I'm like, if they hear something that resembles a joke, they're going to laugh and that's going to make more people laugh. But then like, if you write, if you do a damn good joke and you know, something that's creative and should appeal to most people and it's like 15 people there and you get three of them laughing, that three ain't going to make the other 12 laugh. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, it's like, oh, God damn. But then there's like its own struggle of like trying to stay on the like, you know, the club rotation of like, yeah. how can I get myself consistently in front of big, you know, you know, big crowds? Because it's, it's just it's 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 like a weird high you got to chase. I kind of imagine it being close to like. Probably like our little our podcast circle. Um, there's a bunch of us around here that do podcast, you know, um, we're all good friends. We all know we're all doing each other's craft, hmm. but we hear things that other shows are doing, and it's kind of like a prod to make you want to do do something better, hmm. and to be better at your craft, and to keep your craft going, or to to up your game a little bit because you hear, you know, well, this person's they got this as a guest, and uh, blah blah blah, and you're like, well, shit, that's a badass guest. Well, you know what? I want to get a badass <laughs> guest. You know, you just you just kind of one up and. And it was ah shit. Brian just texted me again. Uh, we got someone coming. <laughs> Brian needs <laughs> something was, to do. Ah, damn it. <laughs> like, um, you know, I think that was. It's not a rivalry. It's just something that helps keep things, keep the fire burning to make you want to be better at your craft. You know, and you also hear how the type of shows other people are doing and you're like, man, I really wish we could do that type of show, you know, where we just come in and talk and we don't have guests or, you know, or we have these badass guests or maybe our show is just focused on this or that. And we're too far in our, you know, ours is always probably going to be a potpourri type show yeah. of local, stuff and local guests it's that's just it's set in stone now um which i really enjoy one i want to now we have microphones and everything i want to formally thank you for you and matt were basically my only male interaction through the <laughs> through the covid the 2020 year because i think i i posted online that you know i lost my job yeah uh, and it turns out i was off for like five months and you know just Nothing to do, future uncertain. And I think you messaged me or you commented on, on Facebook, and I was just like, "Oh shit, you know, I'm, like I can't go to bars. I'm not. There's no comedy to do. You know, I was, you know, I don't like drinking at home, but I started drinking at home just to, you know, have something to do, something that might help me remember. I used to go out and you know, open mics and shows, and alcohol was part of that. Okay, I used to hang out with people, alcohol. It, but then I came here like on a steady run. I was, I was like the third de facto guest, but it yeah. was. It, I think it really helped my sanity for that year. And then luckily my job came back that had me 
and random and gas finally stations. you left i know right it's like good god but man you it, it was literally a life no preserver, it's totally understandable which was great because i got to come over here and kind of like what and it kind of goes back to how the it, since i've spent so much time at bars and i love a good bar love a good hang at a bar you know spent so much time you know at sunshine arlington chain smoking watching ranger games but like you're saying how this kind of replicated the bar like one it kept you away from the bar but also like you and matt were here plus plus seth and then like you had these guests coming through so it's like a bar with all these you know it's like a free bar but also you're not you know there's not music you mo- probably hate playing in the background that's not this- that you gotta scream over yeah, and there's not people interrupting the people you want to talk to. And that that's when I first came here uh, the first time. Like, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people are the same way, completely fucking blown away by the setup. But first, like, you walk, you're like, come through the side. You're like, I'm walking this guy's back. I'm going to a shed? Yeah. Okay, this is... And then you open that door, and you're like, lights, air conditioning, tables. Uh, well, not one, but, like, the old setup. But I'm like, yeah, table, the old microphone, setup. TV. And it's like you see all the gear that, you know, just intimidates someone like me. You're like, oh, that's a lot of wires and plugs and holes and gadgets. Which, and... look, you made it obsolete with your little device here. It's crazy, right? It's freaking awesome. <laughs> just uh, 400 bucks on Amazon mailed to me. Let's sell all that shit <laughs> yeah. and just get one of these. Free up some like, space in here. You're like, this is like next level shit because people have, and I say like like next level, like you, you've created, it's like a bar and a podcast and like you know, in a shed, I say that like yeah. jokingly, but you know, like we're in a shed that is a podcasting studio, and I like telling people it's a shed first, and they're kind of like, "What?" Like they think it's like a shed, and we have to deal with the elements. I'm like, "No, no, yeah. no, no!" Like you can go in there and take your jacket off, or you know, you can go in there and get some AC. Yeah, because it's just like I've always been. And then you got all the Polaroids of people that come on the show, all the people you've met, and that's just and. So coming in here, I like dragging people back here the first it's, time. It's fun. And I've been on. Where are we going? What's weird is I've been going? on very few podcasts, and which I that's the reason I want I started my own. One, I want to interview people that I want to interview. Yeah, but also I've always been like I want to go on other people's podcasts. I listen to podcasts. They seem like a lot of fun, and I've done one at my buddy's apartment in Denton after a show. That mm-hmm. was fun. But, you know, I was in Denton after a show, you know, but I'm like, there's other podcasts. And I'm like, "Ah, I'm not on anybody else's podcast. Fuck it. I'm going to start my own. But this is what I want to do. I want to interview particular people for particular reasons. And I got like a list in my head of, you know, people I want to hit up and be like, hey, I'm going to come to you. So they're comfortable with that. I'm like, that's what's awesome. I don't don't want to inconvenience. This you have something here that people. If they haven't been here already, should want to come to, and if they have, they know what they're coming to because it's, it's you know it's it's a studio, and it's 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 just really cool to be inside here, and that's what's also you know, I'm not sure Kevin Smith was like thinking about this with you know he was saying what you're what you're hearing, but there's a lot of different ways to do podcasts, especially yeah. thanks to the thing that you know we're using right now. I can go to people, I go out of town do a show, I can interview. Like another comedian, I can go to people with this, but yours is inverted. People come to you, and they should want to, because it's just like this is this is neat it's shrine. It's yeah, the exactly. temple. It's the temple. It's the shrine, and it's just it's, we've been it's asked next level. We've been asked to do live shows, 
uh, on a stage or in front of people, like say at mass, yeah, on a stage at mass on a night, you know, have people come in. I don't know how that would work. I don't. I don't think it would. I don't think it would be as fun as this. I don't. You think, got this background noise. I don't think it would be as intimate. That's another thing. Yeah. I, I like this being intimate, and I like one of the secrets is, um, we have a lot of whiskey out here, <laughs> and a lot of people are like, you know. They're like, man, I really wish you would get to your guest earlier in your show. There's a reason we don't. You gotta let the whiskey kick in. Ah. Then you get the good stories and you get the good stuff. The guard comes down. <laughs> you know, if someone was to sit down, walk in and sit down, and we just said, "All right, let's go," I, and I start I had to hitting that. them hard. Because you know, it one, I had to, you know, I got, I got, especially like last year, 2020. I had to realize like this was just. I was happy, more than happy, elated to have something to do. Yeah. But then I really kind of got the vibe more of just like, one, this is, you're kind of like, you know, the captain and, you know, Matt's, you know, like your drunken co-anchor. But also I had to kind of realize, all right, stop stepping over what you're saying because you're driving the show. But also, uh, I also learned just like, you know, just coming here more and more and like, just kick back, have some beers, get up and go take a piss if I have to. Yeah. I Like, you know, I feel bad if you have to because it's like, well, you do if you have to. If I have to, but yeah. <laughs> I've learned to hold it for long amounts of time. I, I'm not good at that. But it's, it is. It's like we learned that just six, nine months in, man, was like, wait, let's hold off on our guest a little bit because mm. once this whiskey gets in, we get some good, good going, especially if they're going to town. What if they don't drink at all? You're just kind of like, fuck. There's always someone... <laughs> Like yeah. if we're with a band, there's always a member that will drink. There's never a completely sober okay. band ever. Well, no. What about just like kind of like your, it's like like the the political people, yeah, like running for city council people, like. Well, that we're not trying to get. We're yeah, not trying yeah. to dig in and get dirt from them. But like, if I want a good story from the road gotcha. or, gotcha. you know, a good story of like a band breakup okay, or something, yeah. like I could tell you some stories, off the mic that mm. I, <laughs> that I've. I don't want to repeat right now, but the, the 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 politician quote you know to be or whatever coming in. You don't want to derail their campaign before he even has a chance to grow some. Here's here's like you That's know in the comic book. You. you know when you read comic books, it says see episode such and such of such and such. Mm. This is where I'd put in the asterisk and go go to Jerry Jonestown Massacre and look up the first time Pinkish Black came in the studio. Mm. Uh, look up the first when True Widow came in the studio. Those are two excellent examples that okay. I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah. But it's, um, I don't know, it's been fun. Um, I would be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I'd feel bad if I didn't bring up, you know, Jeffrey Lord and his role mm-hmm. in having his podcast yeah. and us working together. Um, so, which I did that, and that was a that was a yeah. fun time. What was that? Called? We were going at the same time. We became great friends. Mm. You know, we still are great friends. Um, he's one of my best friends around here. Um, but like his show and what his show did, and the way he was doing it at the time, really kind of it it made sense to things in my head with the way we were doing things. Mm. Um, as far as what he was doing with local music and we were doing with local music also, we try not to step on each other's toes too much with having the same guest, you know, the same week or something. Was his more like focused on the guest 
And a lot more, yeah. There may have been a, I may have had a beer there, but you know, it was it was, it was a fun little setup. But yeah. like here, you walk in, and you're like, you see all the flyers on the wall, and you're like, oh, and you know, all the plenty of whiskey available, not even realizing. You have there's a seen, fridge of beer. Yeah, yeah, so you're just like, oh shit, I'm here to party, and like you know, you kind of you know, you you think yeah. that you don't say that out loud, maybe, but you're like, oh shit, these guys like to party. This is going to be great. And Jeffrey, just he's a little bit more toned down yeah. kind of guy, very sincere, very, very, very good, very good, not, very nice guy. But it was like he's there for a purpose. But you walk into the temple, you're like, oh, cool, I can I can get a little fucked up. Then he this is going to be good. He introduced us to Susie, Susie mm. Ramon, and she did a lot for the show early on, um, and got us going. It's like. The way I always talk to Matt, we always do this like little stair step plateau going up to where the show is now. Mm. And, you know, she was a a major part of us climbing up to this next step on a plateau, you know, going up. And and she helped out a whole lot. And, you know, she's one of my closest friends in the scene now, too, all because of this show. Well, because of Jeff. Jeff introduced us, but... Mm. um. Yeah, what she did on the show, and now she has her show, which is fantastic. You know, they've been doing theirs for over a year now, and it's great with her and Ivy. Um, I wonder how many mother-daughter podcasters. I don't know, but it's it's great. It's a great listen, listen to them get along and the stuff they yeah, talk about. Yeah, that's one thing about Susie. You're just like, how are you this type, like, you're a mom, but you're like insanely friendly to be around, and look at look out like you're friends with your daughter, but it's not like in an irresponsible kind of way. Yeah, <laughs> like usually that formula doesn't work out. the The way they carry on is very interesting and awesome, and it's something that you know I can only hope once my son gets that age that we're pals like that Simpatico, and palling around, having simpatico fun and, like that. Yeah, because like that. I don't, and I yeah, think it takes it's a, so great. It takes a person like Susie to where it's just kind of. That's why I, when I meet people that are like very genuine, very nice, I'm just I I have to be jokingly mean to them. Yeah, just because I'm like, ah, you're too like you're too not you're not even trying to be too nice. That's just how you are wired genetically. That's, I, <laughs> you know, I, I'm like I gotta be uh, I gotta be Satan here a little bit and cut you down to size. But then I'm just like. I can't mean any of this shit. Let's hug. Yeah. But I'm like, too late. She's already hugged me the moment she saw me. So I'm just like, ah, God damn it, Susie. Yeah, she's okay. she's a, she's one in a million there with the way she is <laughs> about things. And then, uh, yeah, um, of course, Matt can do this show without Matt. It's I've I've done one show solo. Oh, really? Ever. And it's too difficult to do. So if he's not here, we do have a bullpen we call from. Mm. Um, like if he has something going on or whatever. I'm trying to imagine the show, like, just you. <laughs> just in kind of ranging it's from weird. it's like you get a little bit. There's one episode that is. A little bit Art Bell, a little bit Rush Limbaugh, a little bit Alex okay. Jones, a little bit Kevin Smith. <laughs> There's one episode that I'm not on. Oh, okay. And it's when I went to Ireland. And at the time we had uh, Will dumpkey was our our producer so we had four guys in here at one time um and he ran the show mm. with matt and seth and that was interesting 
because I stayed up till like 3 a.m., 2 a.m. Ireland time to try to listen to it live. And I passed out, but fortunately Will got it up on the server and everything and got it published. Mm. And I listened to it the next day. And it's very weird listening to your own show when you're <laughs> not on it. <laughs> it's strange. And I'm driving, we're driving around Ireland and I've got my headphones in and I'm just giggling and laughing. And at the time, my mom didn't know I had this. I hid this for a while. Oh, the podcast? The podcast. Wow. Um, because she's very podcast friendly. Oh, okay. She knows podcasts. And oh, so you knew she would just straight up start listening. Start listening okay. and then be like, you are a bad person. You are a awful, awful. I did not raise this kid. And so I kept it and I was just laughing and laughing and laughing and um, just couldn't help it. She's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I'm just listening to something that's making me laugh. And I think finally my sister told her. He's listening to his podcast. What? Yeah, and it turned Shut up. Yeah, it was silly. <laughs> but then I, I took her, and she still played kind of dumb for a long time that mm. we didn't have it or we weren't doing it or whatever. And when the Fort Worth Weekly article came out, I just went and put that on her table. Oh. So here you go. <laughs> what? Wait. So how how long did you keep the, this seven year long plus podcast going? Or how long did you keep it from her? She pretty much knew about it, but I wasn't open with it okay. until that article came out. Okay. And I was like, oh, here you go. And she's like, why are you and Matt on the cover? And she had seen the stickers. She had seen stuff everywhere and knew, you know, Jerry Jonestown Massacre. I know her. You know, I've heard that. And I've seen it on cars. And you said Matt thought that up, right? Yeah, the name came from, you remember when... The Dallas Cowboys had that inflatable training facility at Valley Ranch. And a storm came through and it collapsed. Yes. yes. So the day it collapsed, I'm over at my brother and sister-in-law's having a LAN party playing Left for Dead 2 on Xboxes. Oh, okay. We had Xboxes all set up and we're playing Left for Dead and Left for Dead 2. And he sends me a message like, holy shit, did you see what happened? You know, oh my God. And I was like, no, what's going on? He's like, we got a Jerry Jonestown massacre going on. And I was like, that's genius. That's, yeah. Right there, hopped online and bought the domain. Oh, okay, nice. Right there. I was like, that's. Excellent. And I sent him a message back. I was like, well, I bought that domain, so now we got to figure out what to do with it. Well, it was going to be a blast beat country band. <laughs> <laughs> we were going to make the most screwed up blast beat country music ever. Like blast beats and some banjo and yeah. slide guitar, if we could figure yeah. all this shit out. It was okay. going to be insane. And we actually have a song or two like worked up. Unknown Henson meets Napalm Death. Yeah, something like that. Okay, good. And I then, love the formula. I can usually nail it. When we, when we, Hilm and I were talking about the show and we were doing the test shows and stuff, you know, I was like, we were trying to think of names. And I was like, you know, I still have that domain, the Jerry Jonestown Massacre. And we just kind of look at each other like, that's got to be what it is. That's got to be. And I, moments you're like, we can't think anymore on this. It, that's it. I can almost positively guarantee that this show is known more because of that name than anything else. That people either come and listen to it or click on it or get intrigued because of Jerry Jonestown Massacre, and yeah. for some reason, you go put in Dallas Cowboys football, it always comes up. 
eventually. It, yeah, it's gonna. Wow, it'll come up. It'll has, come up. Has anyone? Yes. You knew exactly. I know exactly where you're going. Yes, they, they have. What? No what? problem. Okay. It's no issue. It's no problem. It's no nothing. I have been asked about it <laughs> from from a lot of people in control out there, from uh, to peons. They're like, you still doing that show? You still doing the Jerry Jones time asking? You still doing that? It's cool they don't care. Because I figure, yeah. Uh, no, I, there's the, a lot of things. The podcast namesake is probably going to be yeah. like, whatever, my name's out there. As long as I'm not talking about a bunch of stuff that goes on, yeah. which I don't. And there's I don't, plenty of people that, there's, like, that want to talk cowboy drama anyways. You have yeah, three yeah, yeah, yeah. radio stations devoted to that shit. So. The only thing we talk about is gameplay. And if they're good or bad, and what's going on, yeah. you know, we've never broken them down, or we the don't one time attack I was here them. Last year, when they had a Tuesday game, <laughs> oh yeah, and we were just talking about it as it as it, went as it happened. But we, it was as long as you don't talk about like we never talk about the gossip of what goes on off the field. Yeah. Um, and I will not get into uh cheerleader or dancer stuff there's just no point which there really is nothing really happens they're pretty bolted down on all that yeah yeah and there's not really i wouldn't say a market for that even kind of discussion i was like who cares plenty of other shit to talk about too there's so many people honestly that don't understand why the cheerleaders are still there yeah like have we not moved on (laughs) from that time but it's it's part of the game day spectacle it's part of the package that whole working there for now for as long as i have and doing stuff you know you see how the different pieces fit to make the game day atmosphere what it is and as exciting and as fun as it is and you know people come from all over the world to see a game in that stadium and they will pay through the roof, mm. you know. Um, I think either Matt with me with me or Seth went with me to one game, and where we normally set up is in the bars that are at the fifty yard line on each side of the field. Uh, when I'm following the dancers around, you know, that's where they used to sit up, set up during the games and uh, do their stuff. But we were standing there, and you know, there's a a husband, a wife, and two kids. Um, so their tickets to get down there were probably 150 each, okay, to get into that bar. They're all wearing brand new jerseys. Jerseys are 100 bucks each, easily, if not more. So you're you're sitting at almost a thousand bucks right there. But then they have food and foam fingers and the kids have all sorts of light up stuff on them and a football and stuff. You know, these people come and pay two. They're dropping four figures. Yeah, easily. 1500 to two grand a game just to just for. I mean, technically, the game day is something like seven hours worth of entertainment. Mm-hmm total counting the game and all the pregame stuff Mm. and then there's some stuff that happens after the game you can stick around for but most of the time it's emptied out but yeah so you're looking at (laughs) you're paying that two grand for 
six, seven hours worth of fun. Which, I mean, there's only eight games there a year. So there is, yep. I don't think a lot of people, like my dad would never, I never wanted to go to a football game as a kid. Because uh, we have 10, you have preseason. Oh, yeah. Well, nobody. <laughs> I would feel so ripped off <laughs> if I went to. Preseason's <laughs> packed. Yeah. Especially are the depending on the same who comes or at least a little less. No, they're a lot. They're cheaper. Okay, they're a lot cheaper. And you know you can go in there, stand around for twenty five bucks, thirty bucks, and see the place while a game's going on. I live right near that soccer, and I've never been in. Yeah, you do. I've my, been my uncle lives right by it. Underneath to drop off a food delivery when I worked at Freebirds in the tunnel. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Just like go in here, and I've been in the parking lot to run a. Mobile station again when I worked for Freebirds, and it was LSU versus TCU, and we were like the one TCU guy out there that was tailgating, and the dude tipped fat and also let us drink. Nice. <laughs> our, our GM was with us. He's like, "Yeah, that's fine. I don't care." What? It was the one time he was cool. I will. Uh, I'll either get dropped off or if. Depending on the game, I'll get a, a parking pass, depending on what it is. But um, some of the games, they want me to park up at uh, the Star and ride on the bus with the girls mm. in and then ride back out. Well, I'm not going to drive all the way up to Star when I live. That's in Frisco, right? Yeah. So I live 15 that. minutes from here. Yeah. I pass the stadium going up there, basically. Mm. So what I do is I get dropped off mm. and... After the game, I'll get picked up. I'll walk over to one of the gas stations or um, the C- the Walgreens that's there on the corner of, yeah. what is that, Road to Six Flags or Randall Mill or whatever. And, um, yeah, all the beer that is tossed your way when you're just walking through the parking lot after a game <laughs> is pretty awesome. <laughs> like, everybody's just like, hey, man. Especially if it's a winning game. Oh, I bet they're quite generous. Yeah, they are quite generous. They have, people have margarita machines. are walking up here. There's a margarita here. Take a margarita. A lot of them are just trying to get rid of the stuff, but so they have towed it around. But it's pretty awesome. It's the beauty of sports fandom. It's, it's pretty awesome. Random fuckers. Well, I yesterday I want to say I was driving from my mom's house, uh, going down Ballpark Way because she lives. You know, I passed by the ballpark going from my house to hers. I was driving back, and my car has no stickers on it. You know, I was driving south this other guy was driving north and this guy just probably look at me but like starts honking he's like yeah and like this was i was like whoa i look at my girlfriend like what was that and she's like and we had just left my mom's the ranger game was just over and she was like he probably saw your ranger shirt and i was just like oh hell yeah Yeah. all right so (laughs) yeah i was just like which is always you know if people aren't into sports but hopefully they have something that spills that, that fills that sports void. When they're not into sports, I'm just kind of like, man, I hope you're into something that lets you connect with random people for a brief moment because it's a fun feeling, you know. Especially if you're not going to sports or like I have some I have some comic buddies and some friends. Like I know you like soccer, but you like all this other shit that we've been talking about for God knows how long now. But <laughs> like, if you're really into like European soccer. Man, good luck randomly running into someone that likes it. It it, it can happen, but it's where, not as much as a cowboy or ranger. Wear a jersey, fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if I'm if I'm wearing a, a Man U jersey on any given day, but if it's the wrong jersey, that person might punch you. Who knows? Well, I don't I'll, know. I will have I will get at least two people that are like, hell yeah, Man U. 
or I'll get, I'll also get at least one person going, uh, fuck man, you go Liverpool or go Chelsea. And you're like, yeah, okay. Thanks. Yeah. And then you'll, you'll laugh about yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, most of the time it's, it's not anger. It's just, you'll, you'll stop and laugh at yeah, each yeah. other and be like, okay. Yeah. Which is cool coming from, you know, an ocean away. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of people that like EPL, DBL. And it's really shocked me because I have probably half a dozen uh, Man U kits, mm. jerseys, and I'll be wearing one out and someone will, fuck Man U or <laughs> hell yeah, Man U, man, that's awesome, yeah. That's one thing about a sport that is so, and I know it's here, but I'm so, so foreign to me is I'm just like, man, I'm like, I'm 36. I've been, you know, I know the four U.S. sports. I know the, I, I get that. I understand it. I'm just like, what if I get into soccer? What if I pick the wrong team? I know I can pick my team. I'm just like, what? I just, you won't pick a wrong team. Oh, I know. But also, it's weird being like, pick one of the big age, six. You're good. It's like my, but it's like coming to such a foreign idea of a sport. I, I get soccer. It's just so boring to me. But also, I'm just, it's so weird. Just like. Hey, what if, I just got to pick a team to root for? I'm just kind of like, well, that's a such a weird concept because here it's so geographic. So, like, oh, not following soccer, did you see what happened this weekend? You talking about like the Super League thing? That was going over the past couple of weeks. Okay. But did you see what happened at or it's 2 weeks ago at Man U Stadium, Old Trafford? Something about pro Oh, I saw a, a protest. I saw a scroller on the bottom. Okay, that's all I saw was literally like a like half a second. So this about. is where you see people that are passionate about a sport. Okay. They had a protest stadium before the Manchester Liverpool game. And they're pissed at ownership because the ownership you know, a lot of the soccer the big six soccer teams over there are working class. They came from working class teams. Okay. You know, they were people that lived in that suburb or that small city or whatever. And the teams were made up of locals okay. and they were all just like dock workers or, you know, ship workers or whatever, fishermen, whatever, you know, they were just all wanted a football in their free time. They wanted yeah. to play football. Yeah. That's where these teams came from. Okay. okay. So that's their origin is, that's their origin is common working class. Got it. Common okay. man, working class. Well, the game's completely changed yeah. and the ownership, now wants to do these super leagues and they don't give a shit about the people that are have invested their life into these teams, you know, because over there it's not like I'm a Cowboy fan when they're winning. Yeah. I'm a Mavericks fan when they're winning. It is you live and die by these teams. And if your team is sucks bad enough, they get relegated. I mean, people are crying and it, it screws up your entire community. People move out of the community. You know, people move out of that area. So, it's it's a big deal. It's like our team sucks. I'm ashamed to be from here. Yeah, I need to I'm go. I'm leaving. I need to go recreate my entire personality and identity. So, well, the the fan base of Manchester United hasn't liked what the ownership is doing, so they staged a protest. Mm. Well, with this protest, they still haven't had uh, fans in the stadium capacity fans in the stadiums there they've had you know a few fans here and there well enough of these fans met for this protest and what they were gonna do was block the buses from entering the stadium with the players on them with the players on them (laughs) well they ended up 
getting into the stadium and tearing up the field and tearing up equipment and going nuts. And a big thing is smoke over there is colored smoke. Oh, okay. Flares. Oh, okay. Um, they represent things and they were fire from from the stands, from the fans or who's setting off these flares. The fans are. Okay. Just so they bring in game or for certain. No, for this protest. Okay. They're setting off green and gold flares. Okay. Which is an attack at ownership. It the those colors symbolize what the team used to be and where they came uh, from and their roots and that they want management out. Wow. So like everything has a meaning, you know, over there. And it caused a big ordeal to where they had to postpone that game till this Thursday. Yeah. It's been two weeks, but um it's it's one of those things like no matter what happens the ownership still has control and you know the fans are basically going in there and tearing up their own stadium their own equipment to show that they're upset and are tearing their own stuff up that yeah. they've built up or they've paid for in the past that's still a hell so of a it kind of sucks <laughs> but yeah yeah like they went in and uh, will management do anything who knows who see you know who cares i the fans care but i mean i don't think they care higher up um, it's not going to change like their signings or the people they're getting. And if anything, if the, the sad thing is if the family decides to sell the team, it'll probably go to a Chinese entity because mm. the Chinese are trying to buy up all of the EPL now mm. and they're trying to buy up team after team after team. So it's kind of like one of those things like, how do you weigh things? But it was cool. So those people was like, give, give us like a green Bay Packers situation. No, they ain't gonna it's nice seeing fans that are that dedicated yeah. about a sport which is entertainment i mean let's break it all down sports are just yeah. entertainment and when it gets to the core of it they're not needed but it's entertainment and it's awesome seeing fan base go that out of control you know would anybody ever do that here to Jerry Jones for the shit no, he just, signs? They'll and just stuff bitch about no. it, but they just still, bitch and gripe. But, but still watch the game on a Sunday. Can and you imagine? Still go to the games if they go. You know. But can you imagine? Also, they don't do this anymore. But you know, the mid '90s, early '80s. Well, all through the '80s to the early '90s to mid '90s, the fights that would happen at soccer matches over there because the fans were so passionate. Like the crowd turning on each other you know they have to be separated by barricades by cages like this section for the out-of-town team has to have concrete walls has to have its own way in and out that is separate and has to like if the opposing team wins they have to be let out of the stadium first and be escorted to the trains so they're not attacked in the streets and then the home team gets to leave you know they're Urine bombs were a thing. Piss into a condom, piss into a yeah, balloon, yeah. and chunk it. And is, it, is that like <laughs> the, the opposing the fans? peak of like soccer hooliganism? Yeah. Okay, so before that, there may have been some of that stuff. You know, it's not that degree. bad now. It's but not that, that bad now, but that was like the got, peak. Wow. I'm, I would say even into the two thousands, it got it got pretty bad, but because it's always been still, like a thing. You know, there's like a, like a trope. Yeah, depending on the team and depending on. Where they're at, I know Old Trafford and I think Chelsea Stadium both have 
direct access for the opposing team's fans to go straight to the train. And what they'll do is they will line up uh, horseback mounted patrol mm. along the this road and let the fans go straight to the trains and get out of town <laughs> before anybody else can, you know, so it doesn't erupt in violence. Uh, what a civilization they have over I know. There. It'd be great. I mean, I'd love to see. Um, I'm telling you, I told you this. In baseball, baseball's the sport that could do this. I'd love to see relegation in baseball. Yeah. Love to. Kick out some of these. But you'd have to, like, the give. The three shittiest teams and bring up. You'd have to give the team that move teams. up, like, the stadium that the other team got, like, kicked uh-huh. out of. No. But how do you. That's not how it works in soccer. Well, I know. And that, that's why I, I was, uh, one of the times I was on here, I like, the relegation thing was just fascinating to me and how. A team can be like really good for like I don't know a couple of decades, and they've gotten the money from you know most likely the, the local taxpayers to build this huge stadium. Yeah, and then they can suck so bad that they're kicked out of this league. But wait, wait, so they they're kicked out of the stadium too, or no? No, they keep the stadium. They keep the stadium, but they're just not in a good league. And the so team not playing good. the team that gets boosted up, hmm. their home stadium could be like like the. Let's just Old keep it local. Pier. Yeah, okay. they'd be like the Rough Riders, the Frisco Rough Riders. Okay, yeah, like their stadium. Like all of a sudden, the Yankees are going to play at okay. Rough Riders Field or something like that. Like, kind of like, like what teams just have been doing with the Blue Jays down uh, yes outside Clearwater. Okay, exactly. Which still looks good enough. Like I've seen that. I'm like, yeah. all right, you know, because I actually re- yeah, renovated okay. it a couple of years ago. So I'm like, all right, that's fine. But that's still so fucking nuts. And you get a you get um. What is it, the Round Rock Express? Yeah. You go down there and you play there. Like the Rangers get relegated, you go down and play Round Rock, which Round Rock is associated with Astros now, right? No, they just got back to being ours. They are um, ours? Who's that, Astros? Maybe Memphis again? I don't know. Okay. Something. But anyway, it's not like you you would relegate like for like, but, you know, that level, the they're AAA, right? Yeah. Yeah, the AAA level. Yeah, the top, AAA. Yeah. The top three teams from that would go to the national and the bottom three teams of the Nash of the MLB would go down. But to me that's still like it just it disrupts the farm system thing. It's like it's, everyone's Your farm system can still work. But it would be But you just take the good players from that team that, you know, is getting bumped up. Like what you know? You could still, there's still a way around it to make it work. Can I make it work? It is, but it just seems that's what makes it so hard for me. One, you know, your your ESPNs, it's, it's, you know, they've just come around, you know, more and more over the years, but they just come around to even covering, you know, the, you know, well, and I guess also the leagues over there because there's one, there's so many leagues. Well, the thing is, like, almost every, all the teams have their own built in farm system. So you have the, the EPL level, then you'll have like a class A version of Chelsea and a class B version of Chelsea and then a youth mm. league of Chelsea. So you'll have all that that they farm through yeah, to yeah. then like, build up their team. Well, like baseball. Which and then they have the – understand um, that, that method. They have the, you know, the all-stars they sign around. Uh, they get moved around mm. and – Signed like and the big ass contracts because I've seen oh man some of those fucking contracts are just uh, they rival are they are they like the biggest in the world mm-hmm. or okay mm-hmm. some of the biggest 
Because only like your your Mike Trout's and Bryce Harper's of the world are like that. That's the LeBron level. James, and that's what yeah. fascinates me. You know, and I get like going back to the, it was a Freakonomics podcast, or fucking the nerd guy that runs that had his son come on, and they broke down all this, and that's where I learned the most about European soccer, and just how fucking nuts it was, and how how hyper capitalistic it, it is when our sports here are very you know kind of socialistic with the with the lotteries and the, the draft and the lottery it's like all right well you know you suck the most you get the best possible player depending on how well you you know draft and all that but there it's just kind of like yeah you have like your farm systems but it's just like no how much we'll pay you fucking more we'll pay you a lot fucking more okay i'll play with you you know and you're the best for you know mm-hmm. every every team over there has possibility of being the yankees yep it just can pay out the ass. Yep. And that's, it's fascinating to me. That on top of the fandoms, the the, the, the literal violence and bloodshed. The that violence is insane. Historically has been a part yeah. of this madness, <laughs> which I like, again, I, I, I jokingly call the sport boring, but when, you know, when I actually take a serious look at it, it is way more fascinating than it could ever be boring. And it's solid action. You watch an NFL game and you watch for three hours and there's like 15 minutes worth of action. But soccer, though, it's like you know, it's 90 like, minutes. It looks of too much like the video games of like 10 years ago. It does. Because they had it right. They had that shot right. Well, yeah. That overhead but, but shot also, was that's perfect. what makes it boring because uh, to me, like, I don't. I don't like sports video games just because I'm like, what's yeah. the fucking point? I can watch it. and you know, Now, there I, are a lot of titty babies. That will fall and roll and oh yeah yeah and oh pretend seeing, like they're injured. seeing some of the worst you know fake injuries and just kind of like oh I just oh, the key there's a key and peel sketch that just yeah. encapsulated it perfectly like the fucker's dead and then he comes back to life gets up kicks the ball to go <laughs> yeah it's, I'm like yeah I'm like, but you see it's like for how much you're getting paid and for that that's what's so egregious it's like how fucking important the fucking citizens. Of that, and you go and treat the sport with such disrespect that you're just like, oh, I got kind of tripped, and I'm gonna act like my fucking shin's broken and you know five pieces, you know, and you know when you don't get substitutions. No, and that's what's get also crazy about soccer. Three a game, right? And, but when you come out, yeah. you don't come back in. No, so you're fucking done. So I'm like, why would you fake? Well, an that's injury? the other thing. If you do something hardcore and you get a red card, your team's down a player the rest of the game, and that guy won't get to play in the next game. Damn. Which takes a lot. Or two in games. American sports. You have to get. You have to do something really bad. Get ejected, and then you know it's like you're getting suspended. You have to appeal. Well, what you get sixteen technicals in. Oh, basketball. Basketball yeah. a season. Once you hit those, you're you're screwed. I think you get like suspended per each what one additional after that, which means it's like hey, stop fucking around. Yeah. Because I think Luke is up to like fourteen. <laughs> yeah, but luckily we're in the playoffs and all that gets erased. Where are we at? Oh, time to go. Man, we're we're over two hours already. Damn, I that's good. Times. I wanted I wanted this these to be generally between one to two hours, but <laughs> hey, time fucking flies. Time man. does fly. I mean, I've covered like for literally the first interview I've ever done, but I I always have like a there's a reason I want to interview people. And I like, hopefully, I think I brought up all the things. Anything I may have missed that encapsulates what is one Dustin Snyder? Obviously, no. Four, 
uh, local you, you music. Need, yeah, you need uh, things are starting God to pick Lord. back up. Mm-hmm. So, um, anybody listening to this wants to come in and promote something on our show, you're always welcome. We always have the door open for locals to come in and and uh, promote their product or what they're doing or if you know interesting stuff that they're putting together. And then any photography work you can hit me up. I'm always available. I'll shoot all sorts of fun stuff and that cool pl- stuff. And that plastic object photography is that? Yeah. You can go to plasticobject.com and plastic object photography and look me up on Facebook, uh, Dustin Schneider and come out and I'll shoot whatever. It's fun. Have a good time. Or use your phone. Who, who gives a shit? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Or you can have, you can pay Dustin. He'll come out and use his phone. Yeah, he just he's got a nice one. And just, yeah, it's a it's a it's a good phone. He's got all the filters, lots of lighting, all, all the filters. filters. That's what's sad. He can put dog. He can make the bass player look like a dog. Uh, the drummer look like a cat. I was put just a horse head on the on the singer. It's 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 a good time. I was just talking to someone today about. Um, go into a local show at tulips you know the past couple of weeks or going to mm. and you get there and there's like five people up against stage with cameras shooting <laughs> you know blah 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 the local band and you're just like i don't want to take any pictures right now there's too many people up there yeah this isn't a national show yeah this isn't a big giant stage where five of us can you know cover all the way across it and members of the band have you know a 30 foot radius around them you know this is tulips and if i go up there we will have blocked the entire front of the stage (laughs) there's there's just too many cameras and it's just ridiculous and they give give it a couple months and then actually go to management because it's it's like, hey, shows are coming back. I think everyone's just going, oh, everyone's super I excited. Go, yeah. You, you're a professional, so you can go in and see. It's like, guys, this is too fucking much. There's but, too much. Like, also, I could see just like, hey, just, uh, just let them have their fun for now. Like I went and went up there the other night to see uh, um, that Fit Band, uh, Fit the Band. Mm. They headlined their first show at Tulips. And your favorite band, Phantom Mello, opened yeah. beforehand. Yeah. And... Um, we, uh, I get there and I'm just like, there were photographers everywhere. And I was just like, oh my God. But I'm kind of glad that I wasn't taking pictures because I soaked that band in and they're just freaking badass. I'm a huge, we're going to get them on the show. They're a fun band. Cool. I'll check them out. I, I dig the hell out of I, them. It's rare that you see someone post something that just like, it, it was it was very earnest and you're just like damn Dustin really like this band. I like this band all right I'll, I'll check they're them cool out. they they have it's one thing saying hey check out this band but it's one just like they're not gonna be for, to I'm gonna that. tell you they're not gonna be for everybody hmm. um but there's no one in Fort Worth doing what they're doing nice there may not be anybody in Denton or Dallas doing what they're doing and that's what was cool was it was seeing something like that on local level and just being very shoegazy atmospheric noisy with like a a feel of peter murphy nick cave singing mm. and i was like okay. this is cool this is very cool no one's doing this right. everybody's trying to be the next super huge lo-fi band mm. and this wasn't what they were doing it was cool it was neat 
So we'll check out Fit the Band. Yeah, there's a plug cool. for them. All right, guys. Well, this has been the first ever episode of the Breckening Podcast because my name is Brian Breckenridge and the Breckening. It, it, I don't have to explain it. It makes sense. It works. And I got to use that fucking term for something. I thought of it and put it on shirts. So I, I got to. Yeah, you already I, got shirts. I got to make it worth its while. So yeah. that's also the name of the podcast. Well, thank you, sir. So, it's been fun. Dustin, thank you, man. That's uh, your. You are the de facto producer also of this show for helping me put batteries in this thing and being like, this thing's easy to run. I'm just like, I know. I'm just really dumb I'm, with technology. I'm envious of this new little I'm glad, piece of gear. I'm glad, That's I'm, awesome. I'm glad all I had to do was just have the money <laughs> to make this purchase and have it delivered to my house. You didn't even hit any of the buttons. I, I, None of the fun buttons. <laughs> Oh, there's a bunch of stupid stuff on here. I could, uh, I don't, I want to make this as simple as possible <laughs> just to interview podcasts. And I'm like, I don't need these other buttons. This is okay. But now you have sound. I want to hit record and stop and be able to. Now I got to figure out how to get it on the internet and everything. What if I did all these interviews and just never put them? In? You just have them for yourself. <laughs> it's like, I just want to have an uninterrupted couple hour conversation with people. <laughs>